Hello guys and welcome back to the We Love Horror podcast, a podcast where we talk about everything and anything related to horror. I'm Michael. And I'm Roman. And we're your hosts. How are you today, Roman? I'm doing pretty good. Um, we're away from our usual spot where we record. Yes, we are. So, um, we've been having a little bit of difficulties recording our sessions just because like our past podcast sessions we recorded at Michael's place and dealing with roommates and everyone like coming in and out and needing to do their own thing. Although it's understandable, it made it kind of difficult to record the podcast. I sound like oh, I'm yeah. like complaining. But... No, no, because it's like when we go to edit like afterward, mm-hmm. it's just a pain in the neck to have to be like, oh, nope, stop right here. And then we have to start over with what we were saying because we got interrupted. And, and sometimes you're you know. like, what was I talking about? And then you got to record right. backwards and find yep. your place. But this time around, Kellen, our guest from last episode, was gracious enough to lend us his studio. He's actually a musician. He's making work right now. We didn't plug him in last time because what he's currently working on is like a little hush-hush. So uh, when that's out, though, we definitely would love an opportunity to kind of like yes. spread the word like, hey, listen to our guy's music. Really good musician. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, he lent us a studio. And hopefully, listeners, we sound buttery smooth. Oh hopefully, my gosh, like, yeah. Uh, it's so weird that it's like so it's much more so quiet like, right it's now. Very quiet. <laughs> it's very like we're it's just us and our voices and we're alone with our own voices. Having no ambiance kind of weird. But it's going to be good, you know. Yeah. Like I'm I'm excited. I'm you excited can how hear this is going to turn out. Fucking pin drop in here today. <laughs> <laughs> like if you're quiet enough you hear your heartbeat. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, special shout out to Kellen for letting us uh record here. Yeah, thanks so much. We man. appreciate we it, man. Very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um so before we get into it, obviously, let's get down to the business first. Business, business is of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, shout outs, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, podcast on Elm Street. Um, they're awesome. Those guys are always so good to us. I know, oh, I know. Um, and they just released an episode to a movie that I actually really like. And it goes back to, again, another movie that I forgot to put on my honorable mentions list for the 2000s, but they just they just um, released an episode for Disturbia. Have you seen that? Okay. The Shia LaBeouf Shia LaBeouf one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. that one's a remake. Right? It is, yeah. Okay, okay. To, well, it's, I wouldn't say it's a remake per se, but it's it's based off of Rear, win- Rear Window. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay, like basically yeah. the same remember. concept, just a little bit different. Okay. Yeah, with its own like little twist. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, very good movie. Um, very good podcast. I really like them. Um, I chat with them quite often. Um, so their podcast, um, yeah, podcast on Elm Street. Their Instagram is a podcast on Elm Street. Um, they're really awesome. Yeah, so, check out their stuff, guys. Yes. <laughs> and then our next shout out is to our main guy from Australia, the Creepy Crap Podcast. Um, his podcast is just so fun. And he's so, um, he's just such a joy to talk to because he's so like, upbeat and positive and he always has like a sense of humor about stuff and i just really i really like him he's really awesome um he's really supportive so yeah um his instagram is the creepy crap podcast uh his podcast name the creepy crap podcast of course um and then uh last shout out is uh it's a horror podcast and um yeah, they've been releasing some really great episodes um i haven't not had the chance to listen to their like very anticipated scream episode i'm so excited to listen to it um they've been teasing that for a while uh so i'm really excited to get into that so they're really awesome um their instagram handle is the same as their podcast name as well just it's a horror podcast 
So go check them out. Yeah. So other than that, um, I'm done with shout outs. Anything else you want to say? Um, You know, guys, still stay safe out there. World's a little scary. World's a little crazy. But be a neighbor. Be a friend. Help people out. Stay clean. And I don't know. Use this opportunity to find new ways to... Maybe, better yourself yeah you know? like there's so many opportunities like pick up an old hobby that you kind of dropped off or learn, maybe f- maybe learn a new hobby find a, learn hid- a new hobby. find a hidden talent you never knew you had exactly you know so t- take this opportunity to really grow um better yourself and you know just have fun relax anything that can relax you do it yes as long as it's not dangerous i guess like, you know, right yeah, so. other than that yeah that's all i have to say also oh also uh thank you all again for um all of your support um, all of your engagement, we have, uh, it's saying that we have two new countries that we're streaming from now. Uh, one is Ukraine, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Huh. And then the other one is Netherlands, and it's North Holland. So that's Sweet. really, really cool. Very nice. Um, and then I guess, ooh, Roman, do we have any uh, anything on Apple Podcasts? Oh, sure, yeah. Have let we me, checked anything lately? Let me check that out. Let's see. Uh, do-do-do. And hey, yeah, we actually do. Ooh. This was actually really recent. So okay, um, twenty three hours ago, we just got in this uh, rating five stars. So that puts us in eight ratings of five stars. So yes. thank you guys, thanks Woo. so much. Yeah, thank you. And this is from Char nineteen eighteen. They say great podcast and fun to listen to. I get to add new movies I haven't seen on my list after every episode. So thank you for that. You're very welcome, Char1918. Yes. Thanks thank so much you for listening so to us. Much. That uh, that just means so much to us. Like when we hear <laughs> when we hear the comments, when we see like all the new places that we're streaming from, it just I feel like it really just kind of like solidifies why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Like it it makes us feel like what we're doing is like worth people's time. Exactly. Um, it's very it's like a really great form of validation. Um mm-hmm. And it just, it makes me feel good. Like, I, I feel, like I said before, I I haven't um, had this much fun on something in a long time. Like, yeah. this is just so fun for me. This, um, this is a great project. Yeah. It's cool connecting with audiences. It's cool entertaining them, educating them. Like, just uh, bonding, really, like, right. throughout the world, internationally, to many different people who all share, you know, the same kind of passion. And in this case, horror, you know, horror films. Um, the horror genre, just anything like that. So, yeah, thank you guys. Yes, you thank know, from you the bottom guys of my heart. so much. Thanks so much. Yeah. So, yeah, now that that's out of the way, uh, let's get down to the... To the skinny of it, guys. There we go. Uh, <laughs> this is our next episode, episode five. We're halfway decade. to the triple, or the double digits. <clears throat> halfway, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, episode five, and we're in the decade of the 1970s. And before we start, I want to say that as a filmmaker, um, you know, I've been making films at a very young age. I'm not saying I've been making good films, but at a very young (laughs) age, I've been making films since I was 12. Uh, Some of them were horror. Some of them were war films, like a whole like variety of different movies I was making. But one decade that really defined my direction and style as a filmmaker would probably have to be the 70s. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge 70s film buff. Like, that was such a tumultuous time in U.S. history, but in mm-hmm. the world as well. And, like, film was radically changing. Oh, like, yeah. The, the climate of film was very different. It was very, like, uncertain. Like, how are movies going to be going forward? 
the same movies that brought people in the 50s and 60s are not bringing the same audiences today. Um, television is becoming very popular. You know, that kind of like started being, it, it was a steady slope that was growing since the 50s. And by the 70s, like no one really saw, like the early 70s, no one really saw a purpose to go to the cinema. You know, if I could just right. watch good television back at home. So there was a lot of studios that were suffering because of it. A lot of studios that were going either bankrupt or dying out. Like, uh, what, what's one that was really big? Orion. That was mm-hmm. a big studio. Yeah. You don't hear anymore, you know, because like, yep. it, unfortunately it couldn't get with the times. But back then there was a lot of studios that because they were kind of really shaky, they were willing to throw a gamble. You know, they were willing to yeah. see what they could do to bring back audiences to cinemas. So they invested a lot of time and resources to new filmmakers. And with that, we got a group of filmmakers that were dubbed, kind of nicknamed at the time, the Movie Brats. Yep. And those guys, their work can be seen today. You know, like if you're if you're a movie person and you really like a lot of movies, and all these names should sound very uh, familiar to you. Uh, of the four Movie Brats, Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. you know, super young. Oh yeah. Uh, George Lucas, you know, the, the the man himself who created the entire Star Wars genre, who created the franchise, you know, oh, the movie yeah. franchise. You know, at the time that happened, but the idea of like franchising movies, so new. Oh yeah, time, made a lot of money. Uh, Martin Scorsese, which you know was the father of like really really graphic gangster films, mm-hmm. you know, which eventually inspired Quentin Tarantino, inspired you know many other uh, filmmakers, and then who could forget Francis Ford Coppola, which the Godfather, you know, and the entire yes. Godfather uh, trilogy and those films. Ah, so as you could tell, audience, I'm such a geek for not only <laughs> film, but 70s movies. Like, Ugh. really love it. And with that, there's a lot of great horror movies in the 70s as well. Yes. And that's what we're going to talk about. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's my preface for the decade. <laughs> that was a and... no, that was a good that was a good segue. I love that. <laughs> um, also, though, I feel like the 70s, not just for movies, but like. Um, if anyone that knows me, they know I'm like a huge, um, fashion buff as well. Oh, cool. And I love a lot of, um, like what the seventies had to bring with like fashion wise, mm-hmm. like the high waisted sh- pants <laughs> the and the, the bell bottom yeah. jeans and the, the platform shoes, the, you know, all of that. Um, I just, yeah, the seventies along with the eighties is probably, probably close to my second favorite decade i believe yeah, yeah the 70s and 80s my top there's two. a lot of experimenting with fashion at that time oh for sure yeah, yeah. just a <laughs> just a great time i feel like to be alive good you for know? fashion good for music like i love films in the 80s too i love the music in the 80s too. so yeah yes very exciting so yeah so there um, we go with that let us begin our top, our top tens. tens yep let's do it all right do you want to start or do you want me to start I'll let you start. Okay. Cool, yeah. cool. So let me bring up my list right here. In no particular order, my top 10 films of the 70s start with a film from 1977. Good year for movies, by the Ooh, way, too. Yeah. Star Wars, the first one, came out that year, as well as Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But this one is a horror film. Uh, when I watched this film, it was on a whim, super late at night. It was like 1 a.m. I'm like, I'm going to watch this movie. Huge mistake. It was... <laughs> a fever dream of a film and it's by david lynch it was his directorial debut oh. and it's Eraserhead. okay i don't know if you've yeah. ever seen the movie do you know that one i have s- seen it but it's been so long 
Okay. So I, I don't really have anything to provide to uh, this one commentary-wise, so I'll let gotcha. you take okay. the floor on so, this one. Eraserhead was a film by David Lynch in 1977, and from what I understand, the history of it, he was kind of a down-on-his-luck filmmaker. Like, he's making a lot of short films. They weren't really picking up. He was really stuck, like, in a rut in his life at the time. So he moved to a new location. I don't remember where it was. I think it was Michigan. I may be wrong, but he lived, He moved somewhere where it was very industrial, very rural, very bleak within, like, the U.S. And it really messed with his mood. You know, it really, like, got him in a very depressed place. He was like, do I, do I even really want to make film anymore? Do, am I able to become a filmmaker? Am I, do I have the stuff to do this? So in that place, he drafted and wrote the script for Eraserhead which is about a man who is kind of similar to David Lynch, stuck in his life, kind of wayward, doesn't know what he's doing, where an ex-lover returns to his life and tells him, look, uh, I got knocked up. It's your baby. You have to help me raise his child. And he's trying to avoid it. He's trying to not face it. But the thing that's crazy is this child, to everyone else in the world, mm -hmm. it's just a baby. Yeah. To him, it's like this weird, deformed alien monster. And he can't say anything because no one sees it. So he feels oh. trapped with this, this knowledge of this alien monster. And I don't want to like spoil the movie because like it goes into weird different directions. But the best way to for me to describe it is it's a fever dream. It's so okay. weird. Like when David Lynch, like David Lynch is very famous for not really explaining his movies. Right. Like there's a famous interview where someone like asked him like in the nineties, like, um, what was this movie about? And he said something along the lines like, Oh, I believe this was like the deconstruction of this, this, and that, and that. They're like, can you elaborate? It's like, no. I so. don't need to elaborate. <laughs> but Just... a lot of what he says is also kind of like trolling, you know? Like he says it because <laughs> yeah. he knows it makes people like, their ears perk up like oh we're gonna actually get like an actual definition he's like no i'm just effing with you guys because that's just how <laughs> he's he like no i'm just gonna leave you with blue balls sorry <laughs> yeah. guys but there is meaning in his work but i feel he i in my opinion he probably wants people to find it himself themselves right. like not him to just give the answer away well it's almost like he wants to leave it up for interpretation like very open-ended yeah so that people can think whatever they want they can all have their different kind of i guess ideas about mm -hmm. what it's supposed to be exactly so, i like that i think I think that's prevalent with a lot of movies today. Like Ari Aster, for example, like oh, yeah, yeah. he doesn't like, he explains things, but he doesn't like explain everything. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, he doesn't spoon feed shit for you. He doesn't, you know, show you everything right off the bat. Like he just kind of like lets you kind of figure it out yourself yeah. as the story goes along. So mm -hmm. yeah, I see a lot of that prevalent today with a lot of, um, directors as well. So. And I appreciate that, you know, because like film, film is entertainment, sure. But at the same time, film also, it can be art. Oh, yeah. It can be impactful. So with that respect, film is very much similar to literature. Mm -hmm. You know, literature, you shouldn't be spoon fed like the thematic elements or the meanings behind films or the motifs, but search for them yourself. You know, like when you find yeah. them yourself, it is much more enriching and it is much more personal. It becomes a uh, a more impactful experience when watching films. Yes. So with that being said, though, um, David Lynch, he did say something about Eraserhead that I think was was sincere of him explaining like what he was trying to make. And with that, really, I feel that that goes what I was saying. Like this film feels like a fever dream. He said, I wanted to create a film that when you watched it felt like a nightmare, mm -hmm. but in a narrative form captured yeah. in film like i want something to feel like off 
but you can't put your finger on it. Right. Unusual and yet familiar. But all the while, terrifying if you really start to dig deeper and deeper what it is. And that really is, I feel, what Eraser it is. It's not your typical horror film. It's not a slasher film. Right. It's not a, a jump scary film. It's it's not it doesn't follow your typical horror tropes, but it is extremely unsettling. So and it's psychological. I would say it's of more of like a psychological horror film. Okay. Um, it is a creature horror film too, though, because there is a creature yeah. in it, but in a very different way. Uh, Swayze, my wife, she hasn't seen the film. I showed her clips of it, though, mm-hmm. and she really doesn't like it. And it all goes back to the fact like she hates like the idea of aliens. She doesn't believe yeah. in it, but like, the idea of aliens freak her out. So the baby itself and like it crying and it's screaming and it's moving its mouth and she's like, uh, like in a nurse or she's yeah. like, I can't watch Razorhead because it would give me nightmares is what she tells me. And I'm like, okay, fine. But a really good movie. Cinematography is phenomenal. And also an interesting point is this movie came out in 1977 mm. and it's entirely in black and white. Oh yeah, yeah. that's what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one of the things I remembered about it was that it was in black and white. It's yeah. in black and white where, uh, you know, color had been introduced in a film since like, the early 40s you know oh, yeah like very few films had it in the early 40s but by the 50s by the late 50s every film was in color you know so when a filmmaker chooses to make a film in black and white it's there's more an artistic meaning behind right. it instead of the logistics of making it um, yeah because you have alfred hitchcock too yeah he did in psycho. the 60s he yeah. did psycho and, and the birds birds was also in black. and like uh-huh. these films could have been in color but yeah. he chose to do it in black and white and i feel within the case of david lynch it further adds to that that disconnect, oh, yeah. that dream for reality feeling, that nightmare that he's trying to portray in cinema. So um, Racerhead is a very weird film, but one that kind of pushed the boundary of what films can be. You know, it did a lot of things differently. And although I wouldn't say it's, it's a film that, like, is a household name, yeah, like films today, like Star Wars and, and uh, Indiana Jones and stuff like that. But it definitely was one that inspired has influences today, oh, for sure. You know, in horror and narratives and just like being very avant garde without being avant garde. If that makes oh, yeah, sense, oh no, you know, yeah, like it doesn't do things just like oh, I'm gonna make it very experimental. It's like no, it does things in experimental fashion. But still to service but, a story. Right. Yeah. There's like a there's like a meaning behind it. There's a you know uh-huh. there you can obviously tell that there's like some sort of, you know, thought process behind exactly. everything that they're doing. They're not just throwing shit out there to, yeah. you know, shock you for yeah. just the hell of it. They're you know it's like I'm probably like, I might get crucified for this. I don't know. Um but I'm gonna be <laughs> brutally honest, like as an artist, I hate Andy Warhol. I hate Andy Warhol because he like encapsulate that idea of doing things just to do it like there is no direction like uh he's mainly known for his pop art you know like the Marilyn Monroe the the soup can the soup cans and those are iconic you know yeah like those are very instantly recognizable art but he also dabbled in film a bit and his movies like I've had some film friends that say oh but it it pushes a boundary of film so in and of itself, it's worthy of like right. being appreciated. Yes, like, and then we go to the definition of art, and I don't want to go this whole like spiel because it could definitely become <laughs> a very long art, like conversation. <laughs> but in my opinion, movies can be artistic 
but they have to still have the DNA of a story. Right. And a story is something that has a beginning, a middle, and end, and allows us to appreciate an arc of a character, exactly. a society. So a movie can be artistic, but still accomplish that. And, and right. I, I would consider that in a successful or a movie right. that like hit its mark. In Andy Warhol's movie, none of them do that. Like He has an eight-hour movie called Empire, Damn. where three of the hours is just a, a static wide shot of the Empire State Building at night. But at the time, after 11 p.m., all the lights turned off on the Empire State Building. So after the three-hour mark, the rest of the five hours is just a dark skyline. You can't see anything. Really? It premiered at many major film festivals at the time, like Cannes Film Festival of, I think, Sundance. Was Sundance founded by then? I'm not sure. But many major film festivals. And... It was unwatchable. Like if you nobody could, really watched it. If no you one... guys could see my face right now, I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. They so. actually let him show that at a Sundance. Yeah, and like, well, I wasn't sure if it was Sundance in that case, but in the Cannes Film Festival, it showed to an audience of 33 people. Within the first like two hours, most of the people had left. By three hours, the remainder have left. And there was only one guy that stayed for the whole thing. <laughs> and the reason was not because he was watching it, but because he accidentally fell asleep. <laughs> and then when he woke up, he was getting nudged by like the festival attendee. He's like, hey, sir, the, the film is over. He's like, what? <laughs> oh, okay. So he didn't even realize that it was an eight-hour thing he stepped through. He probably thought, oh, I just took a nap. I'm I was going to say, either he fell asleep or he's like just rocking back <laughs> and forth after eight hours. He's like, oh, oh. Yeah, like he's just like, oh. Yeah. Lost so, his mind completely. Andy Warhol's case, he loves to explain why he makes stuff. He feels he's very right. a kind of revolutionary in doing that. And when explaining why did you make Empire, he's like, because a film like this simply had not exist, so I wanted to make it exist. And that in and of itself gives it value. And uh, um, sure. I, it gives it value in the novel novelty of the idea. Right. But not But there's no substance. In the, exactly. It lacks substance and the pretentiousness of the idea of it does not automatically give it substance. Right. So I guess what I want to say, listeners, is I love experimental things. I love artistic things, but I don't like it when it's used in such a way that the novelty of its experimentalism gives it substance. Right. Value, well, there's know? a there's a there's a saying like about certain movies that movies can have a lot of style. Movies mm-hmm. can have a lot of like great cinematography, but like it lacks substance. Yeah. Like, there's movies, you know, out there that yeah, they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They're like beautiful films to watch, but they lack a story. They lack a, a like a meaning. Yeah. To me, like... substance is with film specifically directly synonymous with story. Right. Yeah. Well, story. I mean, with anything, and it's not just movies. It's like when you write a book, when you, you know, do anything. It you have to start with the story. Mm-hmm. The story is the the meat and the bones it's the of DNA. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have a story. And you don't have any direction of where you want to take the story, it it all goes back to the fact that like sure you can have a beautifully filmed movie, like mm-hmm. you can have a beautifully shot movie with beautiful lighting, beautiful cinematography, but if you don't have a damn story, like, I mean, I think you need to go back and yeah. figure out how to. <laughs> I mean, you got the cinematography thing down, but yeah. like if you if you can't you know do a movie without like a great story, then like what what's the point? Yeah. You know, you have a beautiful movie with no substance, yeah. basically. So, yeah, you like the soul of the film, right? So, you know, that's basically what I'm trying to explain, listeners. I'm gonna get off my high horse right here, I guess, for a second. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, Eraserhead, I feel, does it in such a great way. 
where it is experimental, you know, and it yeah. still manages to tell a very engaging, and intriguing, and story. bizarre story. But the story is there, and it's fun. So nice. that's my first film, Eraserhead, nineteen seventy-seven, directed by David Lynch. Good pick. I'll have to, yeah, I'll have to um, go back and watch that again because, like I said, I, gosh, it's been years since I watched that movie. Uh, so that movie wasn't even on the radar when I was making my list. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, just don't watch it at one a.m. Maybe not a good time. Don't <laughs> like be like super trip you exhausted out. and like, oh, what is this? Because then you'll feel like you're probably actually having a nightmare. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. So I actually have the perfect movie to segue into that because this movie kind of has um, a very surreal, uh, fever dream, nightmare type of quality to it as well. Um, and it also came out in 1977. So uh, do you want to take any guesses of what it is? 77. It's uh, directed by Dario Argento. Uh, it's a movie I haven't seen, yeah. but I've seen it in a lot of horror buffs movie lists, and I'm going to give a stab in the dark and say Suspiria? Yep. Okay. Yep. I haven't seen it. That's one I actually haven't uh, seen. It's so good. It's a, it's so good. Right. Um, so where I didn't have any, or where you didn't have anything to say for Racerhead, now I don't have anything to say for Suspiria, <laughs> so take oh, it away. The all right. So, um, I... Looked up the IMDb description, um, just for people that aren't super familiar with uh, this movie. So basically, um, it follows a girl named Susie. She travels to Germany to attend ballet school. When she arrives late on a stormy night, no one lets her in, and she sees Pat, another student, fleeing from the school. When Pat reaches her apartment, she is murdered. The next day, Susie is admitted to her new school, but has difficult has a difficult time settling in. She hears noises and often feels ill. As more people die, Susie uncovers the terrifying secret history of the place. Um, okay. So just in yeah, just it's in a nutshell. Film, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, so oh my gosh, this movie is so like beautifully like we're gonna talk about beautifully shot movies. The cinematography in this movie, the lighting in this movie. Oh my gosh, so beautiful. Like there's so many pretty colors. Like the way he like plays with lighting like um you'll get one half of character's face that's just like backlit with like like red or Mm -hmm. like green Mm -hmm. and it's just uh, it's so pretty and it's just a really like unusual film as well like it's very unsettling very unnerving the deaths in this movie are pretty i remember specifically um it goes back to my point that i made episode one where there were just little clips of things that i would see on tv and passing every once in a while that um, either my dad would be watching or the TV would just get left on. And in specific, like specifically, I saw the first death scene <laughs> of Suspiria. Um, oh my gosh, it disturbed me so much. Like it's cause it's a graphic film. It right? is very graphic. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's just a lot of, uh, jarring imagery. Um, the score is really jarring, but like the score goes with like it fits the vibe of like how jarring the film is. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the direction. I love just like I said, I love the cinematography. I like the story. I think it's, I don't want to get too much into the story because I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen it, but it's just a very like unnerving film. It, it goes to a place that's just like, what? Like there's just some like really weird, um, there's just some really weird moments. Um, like some... it plays with like your perception of reality. Yeah. So like okay. you said, it's almost kind of like a fever dream. Yeah. Like it's like is, 
and it's very uh, it's very dreamlike very um what's the word um fantasy almost yeah very okay. like very that um you watch it and you're like you kind of go out of it after watching it um after i watched it the first time it was almost similar to how i felt when i watched um midsummer for the first time it was just very like i went out of it with like kind of like a haze like mm. how do i interpret this movie like what do i <laughs> what are my thoughts on this movie because it was just really hard to like um at first really kind of get my thoughts and feelings about how how i perceived this movie when i saw it for the first time um but yeah very good movie um dario argento does a very great job at directing um as i said the cinematography is gorgeous the shots just it has a very um stanley kubrickish vibe to it um and so i don't know like i'm not gonna put words in anybody's mouth but it i feel almost like stanley kubrick could have gotten inspiration from this movie for a lot of like his uh, references in the shining when it comes to like cinematography there's Maybe, just a okay. lot of very like Kubrick type shots in this movie that I noticed when I was watching it. Um, cause I, I recently watched it again before we did this episode. Cause I just wanted to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of make sure that I'm up to date on, um, specific movies that I haven't touched on in a while. And when I watched this, um, I did notice that there were a lot of just very like beautifully like framed shots, just very like very Kubrick esque. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, that's all I'll say about this movie. Um, like I said, I don't want to delve too much into it before people have seen it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, Suspiria. I definitely want to check it out. Yeah. Great film. Because there's a lot of, like, international, like, horror films that definitely do stuff different than American. Oh, yeah. Horror filmmakers. And some cases it works, some cases it doesn't. Some cases just terrifying. Oh, yeah. Absolutely terrifying that you wouldn't imagine to see in a film. So, I'll check it out, yeah. Another seventy-seven film that might that might make it on like my there was seventy-seven was a really good year for film audiences like oh man oh yeah phenomenal year but all right so on to my next one yes this one I'm pretty sure we have overlap on um, again there's no order that I make my list it's just a grab bag of the top ten films I feel the decade so here we go number two on my list is a film at the very end of the decade nineteen seventy nine. Ooh, yep. Directed by Ridley Scott. Alien. Alien. Woo. Tagline, no one can hear you scream in space. Ugh. That's such a great tagline. It's for a film. such like, it's so simple, but it's terrifying. Cause... It's terrifying. It's, it's, there's so much great things to say about this film. Ugh. Like, I yeah. love the set design, the production oh design. Like, yeah. to create this blue collar kind of like work crew in space uh, and just like the setup they're in, it's so crazy, you know, it's and, so iconic. Well, and it like, I even watch it today and it, it has aged very, very well. Yes. Like the set design today is still like, I don't, it, I don't feel like I'm taken out of the moment by being like, this doesn't look like a space station. Yeah. It, because it does like mm-hmm. they did so good on like the set design and like the set dressing and all of that. Like it's just so, and yeah. The costume designs and like, <sighs> just like. Essentially, audiences, if you've never seen Alien, it is a a space crew. I don't know exactly what they're... Are they disposal? Are they... There's some kind of, like, blue-collar crew that are yeah. just, like, going from one station to another. And through station, there's a 
contaminant that's made its way onto the the spacecraft. Well, first they get a distress call. Yeah, yes, And yes. Uh, Mother, mm-hmm. the system that they all operate under, basically wakes them up from hypersleep. Yeah. So they all wake up and they're like, are we back to Earth yet? Because they think that, you know, they're awake because they're going, they're back home almost. Uh-huh. But come to find out, they're, it's because they've got a distress signal from another another ship. Another vessel, I believe. I think, yeah. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it, I think, without going too far into spoilers, is this the sequel to Prometheus? Yeah, Prometheus, Prometheus a, is a prequel to everything. Right, so yeah, what yeah. they're getting is a distress call from Prometheus, from correct? From the crew in Prometheus, yeah. Okay, so yeah, they end up going to this planet, and then, um, as Roman was saying, uh, somehow they carry, a, or they get a contaminant, and it gets back onto the ship and then. and then from then going forward the reason why this is more of a horror film than a sci-fi film audiences is because it really is like a like a trapped with the monster kind of film oh my gosh a yeah. haunted house kind of film like they are stuck in their spacecraft with this unknown alien force and like we see a lot of movies like this today sure but this was the first of its kind mm-hmm. at the time you know oh yeah like the first of its kind of a movie where it's like you're trapped with this alien and you have to you have to find it and you have to survive. Right. Uh, so, um, terrifying movie. I love it though. It's oh, great. Me like too. it is. I would say Sigourney Weaver's breakout role. Right? Oh my gosh! Yeah, and she like if so not her amazing. breakout role definitely got her on the map. Like got her in, like became a household name. Oh, for point. sure. Yeah, she's amazing in this film. She's mm-hmm. so good. Um, what was I gonna say? I really I just love the atmosphere of this film as well. Mm-hmm. Like. Space is terrifying to me. I, uh, I don't like to think that... Because sometimes I think about the fact that, like, it is a terrifying thing to just think about the fact that we're, like, on a... In a... Basically a big floating ball in the middle of nothing. Mm-hmm. It's it's terrifying when I... Like, my mind goes to that place where it's just, like, we're literally, like, just floating in space. It's... what's What's to stop, you know something like a meteor or something from just like coming and destroying <laughs> earth just like yeah. at any point in time it's just ter- i don't know it's just scary and so like you put that into a fact like into account that you know this movie takes place in space and then like you were saying like the you know they're basically trapped on a vessel it's not mm-hmm. like you can it's not like you can escape the monster by like walking out of your house or mm-hmm. you know you're you can't go anywhere no like no. you're you're stuck in the middle of an endless void of nothing. And yeah. that to me is terrifying. Like, mm-hmm. so you've got a monster like attacking you and trying to kill you, but then you've also got like space mm-hmm. also. And that's just all scary. Like <laughs> the claustrophobic nature yeah. of it. Um, it can't help me, but it can't, I can't help but like be reminded of that scene from interstellar. Like the uh, one guy's like, which one? Yeah. Uh, interstellar, you know, with Christopher Nolan. No, 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 yeah. no, no. I just met oh. one scene. Sorry. Oh, this is, sorry. Now you're getting it. Uh, so the guy, He's like just kind of like sitting in his bed, and Matthew McConaughey's character Cooper is like, "Hey, what's wrong, man?" He's like, "I just can't shake the feeling that the thing that's separating me from millions of miles of endless space is just like." And he bangs a wall like just these metal sheets. Right Ugh, and he's like, yeah, that just terrifies me. I feel like I'm an outcast, or like like a castaway. Is what it is. Like just yeah. out at sea. He's like, "Yeah, well, this is what I usually do to calm myself down." He plays like ambient music of like a thunderstorm and like the Amazon, and it helps relax him. But yeah, like that Ugh. is terrifying in and of itself. Like 
the situation is a scary situation. So on top of that, add a monster that you can't escape. You have to either confront or die. Yeah. Perfect, perfect situation. Perfect premise. Oh, yeah. And the climax at the end with uh, Sigourney Weaver's character. So good. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we like discussed prior, um, when I brought Alien up, I think it was the 90s episode because you were talking about Alien 3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I, yeah, when we talked about um, the Alien, uh, the other Alien movies in the past, I talked about how much I love the look of the Alien itself. Mm -hmm. It's just so cool. Like, (laughs) whoever came up with the concept, genius. Like, it's just so cool. And I love that, like I said before, I love that you don't see the the monster right away. Like, you see glimpses of it, Mm -hmm. um, like in the background. Yeah. just like certain parts of the alien's body that you see that you don't, you don't see the whole thing right away until like the very end, like the climax with mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver's character. So I just, yeah, so much to love about this movie. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a good movie. And if you haven't noticed listeners, uh, I'm a huge fan of the alien franchise. I mean, for the past three episodes, mm-hmm. at least one alien movie has made it on my list. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause I'm alien the, three yeah. aliens for the eighties. Now the beginning, you know, the one that started off alien, um, and also, I really love Ridley Scott movies too. Oh, He's same. A phenomenal filmmaker as well. Alien, um, Gladiator, uh, a ton of different kind of films. Just too, so good, you know, yeah. That, uh, so yeah, Alien. That's my list. Check it out, audiences. Check out Ridley Scott's work if you really if you don't know any of his other stuff. Not horror particularly, but still really good. Right. So yeah, that's my number two. That's a great one. That's also on my list. So I'll skip to my number. three. Three. Okay. Um, ooh. Should I should I do this one? Because this is like a strong one, very strong one. Um, I'm gonna do it. Okay. I'm doing it. Okay. So, I I don't think this movie needs any introduction. It's a movie from 1978. It's directed by the legendary one and only John Carpenter. And that is a film called Halloween. The f- fucking Godfather of all <laughs> slasher movies. Yeah. The my favorite movie of all time, like my favorite horror movie of all time, like I've talked about in the last like two episodes, I think. I would say it's no exaggeration to say that Halloween shaped the direction of modern horror films today. Oh my God. Yeah. So much. like, and it, it basically inspired a slew of like copycats after, afterward. And I mean, I feel like still people are trying to like replicate that formula today Mm -hmm. and failing miserably because Mm -hmm. there just, just isn't another movie like Halloween. True. There really isn't. Like, ugh, I just it's love this thing. movie so much. So if it isn't obvious, that's also on my list. Hollywood is a really great film. Like, it's a great slasher film that isn't so... It's easy to be to overdo it, you know? Yeah. The slasher aspect of a film. It's easier to be so gory mm-hmm. and so almost cheesy, campy, that yeah. it becomes a B movie. It becomes a B movie. It becomes something that's just like, oh, it's we're not scared of it. We're laughing at it. Right. Of how ridiculous and over the top it is so there's a lot of copycats like you were saying of halloween films that do that but halloween just does it so right it is a violent film it is a slasher film but it also manages to balance great cinematography great character great stories like the pacing of the film is really good really good yeah like if you love slasher films like of like the 80s to 90s the ones that are so like all over the place and they go to halloween and like it might not even feel like a slasher film if you're used to like the bad ones, you know, because right. it is a little slower paced compared to those. But 
phenomenal unfolding of the story. Oh my gosh, phenomenal. yeah. Like, Jamie Lynn Curtis, so good. Uh, so young, too, if you think about it. Donald yeah. Pleasance is also such, like, a presence in this film. Mm-hmm. So good. And this, <laughs> oh my gosh, like, um, and like we were saying earlier about story, um, this movie has a story to tell. Like, mm-hmm. it's a simple story. Like, it's very, it's very simple. Like, even they talk about, like, when they were coming up with the idea, they're like, oh, let's do a movie about a killer that's going around killing babysitters. And originally, they wanted to call it the Babysitter Murders. Mm-hmm. But I think they decided to set it, like, on a holiday. Because I don't think they, they, when they thought about it, they had never seen a movie that, like, took place on Halloween. That yeah. was called Halloween. Like, we should take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, so they, they basically, um, that's how they came up with the name, um, and as I was saying, like, in the 80s episode, I talked about uh, briefly how much I love movies back in those days because it was just so, like, it was just a, basically a group of people coming together with one goal in mind, and that goal was to, like, make a great film, mm-hmm. regardless of budget, regardless of resources. And this movie is, like, no exception to that. Like, they made this movie on what, a $300,000 budget, I believe? I think it was, like, $300,000, which sounds... I mean, I could make a movie, a pretty good movie, off of $3,000. Like, that sounds yeah. like a lot of money to me, even today. And to me, that's centers. like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna make a movie. Right. Like, that's plenty but of But, like, yeah. even back in the day, that was, like, nothing to no. make a film. And so, like... Even today. Right. Yeah. And so John Carpenter basically, you know, utilized that $300,000, and they, you know, they... <laughs> Since it since it takes place in California, they actually filmed in California. It's supposed to take place in a small town of Haddonfield, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So like it's supposed to like obviously be Halloween. So leaves are supposed to be falling from the trees. It's supposed to be so basically they they basically painted a bunch of leaves mm-hmm. and then reused them for like shots where like leaves are falling and blowing in the wind and stuff. Yeah. They're basically, smart. so basically after every shot they would like gather up the leaves, put them in a bunch of bags, and then use them for later. Um, very economical right and it just it just sounds like it was such a fun movie to be a part of like sometimes I think about specific movies that like really um, I guess really affected me and I think about god I wish I could have been there to be a part of this like Mm -hmm. there's specific movies that stand out to me like Titanic being one of them um, Scream being one of them like just certain movies that I'm just like I just wish I could have like even if I wasn't, I just wish I could have been a fly on a wall, basically, yeah. to see to see this movie when it was being made. Like, and this movie is like one of those movies that I just wish I could have like been a part of mm-hmm. because it just seems like all of these like unknown. I mean, Donald Pleasance was really one of the only like known actors at the time because he had done a few things and um, prior to that, and that's why John Carpenter wanted him in his movie. Mm-hmm. But like Jamie Lou Curtis, this was like. It wasn't her first role in anything, because I think she was on, a, like, a TV series before that got canceled, uh, okay. which kind of, like, worked out well in her favor, because I think the show that she was on got canceled, so she recently got fired, like, right before she signed on to Halloween. So I feel like if she had been on that show, I don't think she would have ever been in Halloween. So it, it, it's, it's funny how things work out, right? Yeah. And um, so she was, like, everybody, I feel like, was, like, pretty much new to this like even john carpenter and deborah hill at the time when they were writing this and stuff they were still pretty like fresh like mm-hmm. um they had made a john carpenter had made a few things before that but um uh, 
it just it just seemed like such a, like a laid back, easy going environment. Mm-hmm. That that film, God, just so much to say about this movie. <laughs> um, Michael Myers is iconic. Yeah. My favorite horror movie villain, personally, will always be my will always be my favorite horror movie villain. Um, he's just terrifying. Yeah, like he doesn't ever say anything in the movie. Um, like not even a really like a person at that point, but more of like a force of nature. He's just a presence. Yeah. He's such a presence. Like, um, there are so many shots of him just like standing in the background. Mm-hmm. That's just like, so it gives me full body chills even today when I watch certain things. Like, um, there's just so many, like going into segueing into the cinematography of this movie. God, what a beautifully shot movie, like lighting. There's a specific shot. Um, well, the opening scene, mm-hmm. iconic, like, mm-hmm. it's just like, basically, well, it's not all one shot, but it's edited and cut together like it's supposed to be one shot. Yeah. But like the whole scene where, you know, at the beginning where he's, he's going through the house, I love yeah. that. Oh, I love it. The score. Yeah. Can we talk about how iconic the score <laughs> to this movie is? Like, even if you haven't seen Halloween, when you hear the Halloween theme song, you know yeah. what movie is. I mean, it's a song is. you're going to hear during Halloween time. It's a song that constantly playing on television right um you know more often than not yes you know the halloween theme even if you've never seen the movie exactly and that to me is like a staple that like this movie oh my gosh impacted so many things Mm -hmm. so many things um and like i said it just really i think it really um solidified the fact that you can make a great movie on like a small uh, like a minuscule budget Uh like you don't need a million dollars to make a flashy movie like you can have three hundred thousand dollars and if you have a group of people together that are going to come together with one goal in mind to make a great film you're going to make a great film like yeah if everybody's in it to win it you're going to have a great film mm-hmm. and just so many uh, so many good things <laughs> about this film um i don't want to ramble on too much more but i i do want to say that I, I just have such a dear love for this film. I always will. Um, and since this film is filmed in California, I've I've visited the locations of this movie many, many times. Um, okay. They filmed some of this in downtown Los Angeles. It's just so weird because the two houses that they babysit at, uh, the, the Doyle house and the other house, um, are literally on a street like right off of... Um, Hollywood Boulevard, basically. Like, oh, you turn nice. off of Hollywood Boulevard and you go onto Orange Grove, and it's literally like you're transported into a different world. There's trees everywhere. <laughs> it's like quiet and like quaint, and it's just like, it's crazy to think that they filmed this in LA because, like, there's sometimes when I completely forget that this was a film that they made in California and yeah. not somewhere in Illinois because it's just very suburbia. Very. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's another thing I like about this movie. They even said that they wanted to film it like in a small town type of place because it's scarier that way because it's like, you don't expect something like this to happen in a small town. Yeah. So it's like when Michael Myers comes back to wreak havoc on this small town, it's, you know, devastating. Mm-hmm. Like they, you know, it's, this is a town that's supposed to be safe. This is a town where you're supposed to be able to lock or leave your doors unlocked at night. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Michael Myers coming back and wreaking havoc, just, it just really like, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Just the whole thing is terrifying. I, (laughs) I love this movie so much as you can tell, but yeah, I've visited the locations of this movie several times and it's just so, I never get sick of it. It never gets old for me. Um, and it's just so weird to, 
think about like I'm standing in the place where they filmed this movie. It's just I encourage anybody who's a big fan of this movie to I mean someday visit these locations because it's just so surreal. Like it's so cool. It's just really <laughs> cool. Um but yeah, I feel like I've rambled on too much. You if you have anything to say about it, Roman, I'm so sorry. No, I feel like uh <laughs> you've you touched all the parts that I was gonna talk about the movie. Phenomenal film. Uh really steered the way for horror films today. And yeah, you know, it's by the iconic John Carpenter. Like he's made uh many iconic horror films. Oh, but yeah. this was this was a start. Yep. This is what started it all and I'm sure a lot of you listeners have already seen the movie. But if you haven't, give it a watch. Yes. Great movie. Oh yeah. Um so, yeah. Yeah. Uh great film. Mm-hmm. I oh, I love it so much. <laughs> I'm so yeah. <laughs> so that was your number That was my number three. Number three, all yep. right. So now on to I I guess that was also on my list, so I'll consider that my number three. So on my number four, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So with that, uh this film has such a special place in my heart. Uh one of the fir- like the first big feature length film by a very iconic director. 1975. I know what it is. And it is by Steven Spielberg, Jaws. Yep, that's on, on my list, list too. Yep, yep. So I have so much to say about the movie Jaws because uh, I am from California. You know, we record this podcast in Utah. I live in Utah, but I'm originally from California. And like, you know, a lot of people from California, their favorite place to go to theme park wide, like, oh, let's go to Disneyland. Let's go to that. Me, as a young boy, I've, I've wanted to make films since I was like around 10, 12. I would always say, let's go to Universal Studios. Yeah. Like, my favorite thing to go to was not even the rides. The rides were fun, but I loved going to Studio Tour. Mm-hmm. Because the Studio Tour were actual backlots, actual Hollywood backlots where they filmed movies, you know? And yeah. Like they would always say, like, we're going to show you all the great film sets that we've made and Universal's just, il- like, illustrious history, you know? Like, they've been filmed since, like, the 1910s. And maybe, just maybe, you might be able to see a production that's going on. You have to be quiet. Shh but you might be able to see something. Yeah. And one part of the tour was always like the little, uh, really when you're in person, it looks like a pond. It's yeah. It's this little pond. But in reality, the way they shot it is like, this is Amityville. Oh, not Amityville. Am- Amity Island. You know? Yeah. That's a little like connection right there. It's like Amityville <laughs> right. Horror, Amity Island, but I always mix them up. <laughs> Amity Island where is where Jaws would take place. Does that take it, place in the same place though? Is that it? we don't know. Oh, okay. I don't think so, no. There's right. no collaboration with those filmmakers. Oh, but, okay. It is a little coincidental. Yeah. So Amity Island. And I, you know, there's like a little, like the fake Jaws and he comes up and he like, you're on your tram and it's supposed to be fun. But because of that, that film had always been something I've been aware of. You know, Mm -hmm. finally when I was like about maybe 12, I watched Jaws and I know friends where that movie made it where they can't go to the beach. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. The idea of a shark being there. Um, I wouldn't say that it terrified me, but it is a fun film for me. It wasn't a scary it, film. Yeah. It's such like a fun, like, uh, suspenseful movie. Right. You know? And it, it, well, first of all, it was like Spielberg's big major break as a director. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's the first film because not. Yeah. Like if there's anything you want to know about Spielberg, I'm your guy to know about it, uh, to talk about his first actual theatrical debut was not even a, te- like a film in the movie theaters, but it was made for television. It was called Duel. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's a thriller film as well. Um, And that one's about two dueling 
like trucks a guy that gets cut off by like this big semi so he's like he cuts off the semi and now the semi's out to kill him you know yeah so that's a really good movie in and of itself uh he did sugarland express after that which is about two parents trying to get back their their son who's in um like child protective custody i guess Mm -hmm. it's based on true story it's crazy but the one that got him on the map was jaws you know that's when everybody knows yeah that was a film that he wasn't even supposed to direct it was a foreign director that was supposed to direct jaws and this guy was a diva this guy was an absolute nightmare to work with he had a lot of like demands he had a lot of demands he had a lot of clout in europe but not in america Mm. this was supposed to be his american debut and universal just like we hate working with this guy this guy's an absolute nightmare gone the production was (laughs) done so they did fire him and the guy made a spectacular matter out of it he was completely explosive and they're like well now we don't have a director who should we get um uh, let's see that new kid that's on the block right now directing for NBC Universal. You know, he was yeah. doing television, he was doing Night Gallery, which is Rod Sterling's like follow up to Twilight Zone. And that was his break. They're like, hey, you kid, wow. let's get you to direct. And he really was a kid. Like, it's really hard, like, as, because I really looked up the How old was he got he? me. So he got me into filmmaking uh-huh. uh, when I was younger. So because of that, it I would say it's really difficult to not compare. Yeah. But when he got Jaws, he was 22 years old. Wow. And when it released, he was 23, which is what am I? What am I doing? Yeah, so I'm 27 (laughs) years old. What am I doing? So that's what I'm saying. Like, so like when I was younger, (laughs) it was so easy to compare. It's like, what am I doing? Like you were just doing right now. Like I'm this years old. Spielberg's this. Everyone has their own different trajectories. Everyone has their own different ways of doing stuff. But it is impressive nonetheless. Oh yeah, it is super cool. And and yeah, just hearing the production of the process for Jaws, like that. From what Spielberg told me, or from what I've read about Spielberg, I never talked to Spielberg directly. That'd be so cool. Though. Oh my but gosh, like, yeah. From what I've read about interviews Can with Can you imagine Spielberg, if we could have an interview with Spielberg one day on the show? That would be, <sighs> that'd be amazing. That'd be like, fuck. I know, right? That'd I, don't be an think we, I don't think we'd even be able to talk. We'd be like, he'd be like, do you want to ask me something? We'd be like, what was the question? Just starstruck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Oh man, that'd be I'm sorry, a did you ask lifetime. me something? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a moment of a lifetime, but... Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, just reading interviews about Spielberg making Jaws, like, he would explain that was probably to this day the toughest production experience he ever did. And that's crazy. Come from the guy that did Jurassic Park, right. Indiana Jones, like, all of these films. For that film, you know, his first major film, um, in a way, Jaws kind of makes sense because, like, you, you're still finding things out. But he oh, said, yeah, and you're getting kind of thrown into this, you know, mm-hmm. this thing. To the whole, like, to, like, this. In his case, this sinking ship because the right. film had like funneled so much, like just lost so much money trying to develop this, lost their major director. Like when he got on set, he was already late, you know, yeah. which is like that kind of sucks. Um, he had a lot of minds to persuade, a lot of people to say, hey, we are going to make this work. And even he admitted, yeah, like everything that could have went wrong on this production went wrong. Like we had this mechanical shark, it wouldn't work. Right. Like you were constantly like, malfunction, malfunction like, yeah for some reason someone someone thought it'd be perfectly fine to get a mechanical electrical shark and put them in the water <laughs> of course there's going to be like it won't work you know <laughs> like there's many right. times where we're going to run into issues and they did but because of that they use that negative quality to their advantage yeah like when they went to the editing room spielberg with his editor michael Kahn, said you know what if we just edit this in a way in which we don't see the shark that but we allude to the shark we have shots that feel like we're in this shark's point of view such a genius 
but idea. we don't see the shark. And in doing so, the the tone of the film radically changes. Like yeah. it takes a less is more approach, and it becomes all the more terrifying for it. Oh, for so, sure. So like a negative component was switched around to create a very strong and very unique narrative device in this film that you see today. Like, oh, yeah. You watch the movie Signs, I'm not Shyamalan. Like, that film also takes the idea of less is more, not showing the aliens, not right. showing these things, and it makes it more terrifying. It mm-hmm. makes this, this looming threat. It makes this thing that we can't see all the more terrifying see, because of our imagination. Right, and I also want to snowball off of that another movie that's a great example of that. Um, have you seen It Follows? No, I didn't mean to. I didn't so, mean to. I mean, you do see, like, what like the demon creature thing looks like in a like quite a bit in the film but it's it's also about like that threat that no one else can see except for the protagonist of the film like she's the only one that can see it so mm-hmm. to everyone else it's like an invisible threat but she can see it yeah. and that is terrifying and they do a lot of you know as you were saying like the pov shots of the the shark they do a couple of shots like that and it follows where it's like you're mm-hmm. following the perspective of like whatever this thing is that's following her um but yeah, sorry, I didn't. No, wanna, no, no, I don't no, want to go too off subject, but we were talking about movies that kind of follow in the vein of that. No, I feel yeah, like exactly. It follows is a, another good example of a mm-hmm. film that does that really well. So yeah, so yeah. coming back to the point that like a lot of seventies movies like pioneered new techniques that films today use. Jaws was definitely one of them too. Oh yeah, Jaws did a lot of things like. Uh, there's so much you know, and it, it like spawned a lot of like people's careers as well, like Spielberg's, for example, uh, John Williams got much more work. Like he was a composer yeah. before then, in like classical music but this really got him involved with cinema oh my god heavily you know after that he did you know after jaws he did close encounters the third Mm -hmm. time with steven spielberg but then george lucas he did star wars right so so many great films like that john williams style you know i feel like also influenced films going forward then um and that's another score that's like super iconic too. Like you hear the Jaws score. Yeah. Like the dun, 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 dun. That's as iconic as like the Halloween music. Yeah. Right. And you know that that's. Yeah. And I actually have an experience with that um, music in particular. I don't remember. I remember vaguely it was for a class that I had in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was like one of my communications classes or something. Okay. And we were talking about. We got on the subject of. Um, certain things that give us like a feeling of something whether it's happiness sadness and i think it was music in general and our communications teacher put on the the theme song from jaws like the dun 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 and we listened to it like just the whole class just listened to it and then afterwards she was like how did that make you feel and everyone was like anxious, anxious. like Don't want to go like <laughs> right and i mean even people that hadn't seen the movie like that didn't know what it was from like until she said so afterwards they were like yeah that made me feel uneasy that made me feel like really anxious and it just goes to show like music is so important oh yeah like i feel like music in films not just horror films but films in general are it's like so underrated i feel like not not a lot of people talk about the score um for films a lot of work goes into it i love movie scores like there's times and i'll just like put on a movie score while I'm in the shower. Yeah. And it'll be like just a random like horror movie score. And then I'll get out of the shower in my room and it'll be like, what the fuck were you just listening to in the shower? And I'm like, um, my movie scores, bitch. Psycho something for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just feel like the score is mm-hmm. so iconic to this movie as well. Um, yeah. Taking a quote from George Lucas, 
um, when someone asked him like, oh, you know, people say that film is like 50% audio, 50% video. Mm-hmm. He's like, I will go as far to say that film is more 30% video, yeah. 70% audio because oh, yeah. audio can really transform a film. Well, can really put it to another level, can really transport right. you to these worlds. And included with that is the score. Exactly. Score well, going important. going back to Halloween real fast, I don't, like I said, I don't want to take too long on Halloween. But, no, no, you do. Um, I remember specifically um, something that John Carpenter said was that when he showed the movie to, I don't remember who exactly he showed it to, but he showed someone the movie without music. And that, that person was like, that's not scary. This movie's not scary. But then as soon as he put the music with Halloween, like, he was like, that was the most terrifying movie I've ever seen. Like, so it just goes to show, like, that is so important mm-hmm. for a movie to, like, really succeed. Like, it, the score is so important. Like, yeah. I can't even stress enough. But I feel like it's also such a talent when you can make movies without a score. Like, that's completely void of score. But it's still terrifying. Like, Paranormal Activity. No music whatsoever. Yeah. But it's the sound design that makes it scary. So it's like... Also Blair Witch. Same thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, there's certain movies that, like, really... Um, can do very well without a score. Mm-hmm. But that's not... That's very rare. Yeah. And, and far in between. Like, you have to really know what you're doing. Right. To, to do that. And also, it won't work for every situation to mm-hmm. do that as well. You know? Yeah. But scores... Scores are important, guys. Like, oh, I love it it's like trying to look for like a film that you really enjoy and find two different cuts for one has a score and one doesn't. You could really see with music. Oh yeah. How, how different the mood changes, the impact of the scene changes and really just the whole thing. Oh, for sure. And Jaws really, really uses scores to a very strong advantage. Not only that, yeah. but um, it basically did with water what Alien did with space, basically. Yeah. Like, I'm terrified of both those things. I... I'm terrified of the ocean. I'm terrified of space. I don't like either one of those things. And so, like, to me, Jaws was, like, a lot scarier on a, on a tangible level for me. Um, because I remember... Level. Exactly. Because I remember... I Like, I'm still terrified of sharks. Um, but, like, I remember when I was a child, like, before... Way before I even knew, like, what Jaws was, I would have, like, these recurring nightmares where I would just be floating in the middle of the ocean... And I'd be looking down at my feet, like just my feet dangling in an endless fucking void, which just oh, gives it, ugh. I'm just talking about it right now. It's giving me full body chills. Like <laughs> I don't like deep water. Like I don't like water. Like lakes are fine, but yeah. even like, even if I'm in a lake and I'm just like, kind of like, um, in the middle of a lake, just kind of like, you know, treading water. If I even let my mind go to that place, like uh-huh. if <laughs> I, I, I like have to go back to shore cause I'm like, nope. I don't care if it's a lake. There's something under there that's going to grab me and pull me under. I used to have, like, these dreams where I'd be just, like, looking at my feet, and all of a sudden I'd just see, like, a big set of jaws coming up, right? Pun intended. (laughs) A big set of, like, shark jaws just coming up for me, like, straight up from under the water. Ugh. I I used to have nightmares (laughs) like that all the time. And that was before I ever even saw Jaws, so... um, That's when that movie came out. Or once you saw it, you're like, oh, shit. Right. And so, like, I feel like... Yeah, Jaws was very scary. Um, I don't think it's as scary now. Like, as you said, it's more entertaining than anything. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the concept of, like you said, a, a threat that you can't see that's just below the surface yeah. is just terrifying to me. Like, just that concept any alone. Moment, just, yeah. And he really mm-hmm. works off of that. Um, oh, yeah. I've never been scared of sharks, so I've always found the film more thrilling Yeah. Than scary. Uh, but yeah, I know some friends that it just absolutely terrified them. I do kind of feel bad, though, because I feel like this movie 
um, gave sharks a bit of a misconception because I don't feel like sharks are as like, I mean, yeah, sure. Sharks attack people sometimes, but like, I feel like most often than not sharks aren't like, yeah, like they're, violent they're not going to look out for people specifically to hunt unless if a person's available, they kind of keep to themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Unless the person's available. Yeah. They're like, ah, oh, my usual <laughs> meal. Okay. There's a person. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, like, there's a leg. Yum. I know a lot of people that would never, like, they, whenever Shark Week came on on Discovery Channel when I was a mm-hmm. kid, they're like, mm-mm, not watching that. Yeah. I thought that was fun. I'm like, yes, Shark Week. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, know. I used, oh, uh, well, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't mind going into the ocean, but it still, like, freaks me out. Like, when I went to San Diego a while back, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but, um, I, stepped on a stingray Ooh. and the barb went up through my heel like because it was one of those sand ones yeah, so yeah. you're supposed to shuffle your feet so that it like scares them away yeah so they feel the... but i i forgot to shuffle my feet and i stepped right on one and the barb went up through my the back of my heel and oh my god the pain was so intense like how old are you Oh, I was I was pretty old. It was back in two thousand fourteen, so oh, okay. twenty twenty one. Okay, all right. Twenty one. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, it it was not it was not pleasant. I'll tell you that much. It hurt like a mother. And then after that, it got infected, and my foot's like swelled to the size of a freaking basketball. Uh, I almost had to get my foot amputated because of it. It was just not a pleasant experience. So, the ocean, not a huge fan. Not your thing. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably still go out and swim in it, but I don't know. Just the, yeah. yeah, just going off, like, the whole, like, Jaws thing. I don't like sharks. I don't like the ocean. I do do not like, ugh. Yeah, freaks me out. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> and I can see that. I completely understand that. Yeah. Uh, fun little fact that I know is that on Aust- in Australia, if there is a shark sighting that's very close to the waters, they do actually play on loudspeakers, the Jaws theme. Oh to my kind of gosh. tell people to get out of the water. Why would you, why I, it would does, you do it that? It does like get the point across, like, hey, get out of the water. There's a shark very close to the shore. But it does it in such a way that's like, oh, man, that's terrifying. That is that's so mean. Do, 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 do. Like, All right, let's get out of here. Let's, let's go, guys. Get your <laughs> kids picked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that scene in Jaws where the kid just gets munched. And yeah. Like, oh, my God. And they're running out. Still Great surprised that that's a PG movie. Yeah. Like, even back in the day, I'm like... It, it really pushed the boundaries of PG. Um, you see violence. You see an arm fly off during a you shark see attack. Blood, yeah. You see blood. You see, uh, like, one guy, like, being You see a naked a woman at you the see beginning. You naked boobies. Yeah, naked uh, boobies. They're just a silhouette, but still... Tig bitties. Tig bitties, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, um, a really good film, a really good horror film, in the seventies, I feel that's that's a solid movie. And oh yeah, it should be on anyone's pick for so top seventies horror film. But yeah, Jaws, and that that's what was it number four? Yeah, it's number four. Yeah, yeah. it's my number four. So, so we're on to your number five. Right? We are. Um, so my number five, <clears throat> and I'm sure this overlaps as well. My number five is a little known movie. From 1973. Do you want to take any guesses of what it is before uh, I say it? Sure. And I'll preface it by saying that this <laughs> horror film, it's probably my hor- favorite horror film of all time. Is it? As okay. well as... This is new. I didn't know that. My most terrifying horror film. 
especially from someone who grew up with a very Catholic upbringing. And you're talking about The Exorcist. I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ugh. I still, like, most horror films today, I can watch. No problem. Right. Like, ah, oh, this is scary, but it's still fun. Like, I uh, I have no issues watching it. I could watch it as a movie. Exorcist yeah. is still one where it gets under my skin. Like, I, oh, yeah. Depending on the day, depending on the time of day, like, I, I don't know if I can watch it, you know. This is a film I, I don't <laughs> like watching in the evening. This is a film that still really preys on my superstitious and supernatural sensibilities mm-hmm. i guess like my fear of the supernatural like i'm terrified of the idea of ghosts where swayze is scared of aliens aliens right? yeah it's like aliens are completely fascinating to me um ghosts are terrifying it's mm-hmm. like why it's like because of in my opinion it's the idea like you can't do anything like this right ephemeral untouchable force can haunt you and like terrify you and just make your life hell and you can't do anything about it you know nope. which really sucks so when you take the idea of a ghost and make it like a an evil force, a such demon. as like a demon, yeah, get out of here. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I can't I'm do done. this. I can't do this show anymore. I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> and where Halloween is your favorite film yeah. for what it's done, I would say The Exorcist is because it... <laughs> I heard that too. I was like, was that me or you? <laughs> no, 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 like, haven't eaten breakfast today. That's fine. I like, had a nanner well, before this. But... Once we go to break, you know, I'll yeah. probably eat something. But... <laughs> But anyway, um, this film I feel really creates a this unsettling world, this very like terrifying narrative. Like it's it's just under the skin. It just it's really just, gets there's under some skin. terrifying imagery, and it creates um, a bedrock for modern horror films as well. In the sense, it's like where slasher films kind of takes in direction of like being kind of jump scary, mm-hmm. but like really just becoming engrossed in this like gory kind of like storytelling like oh we're gonna stab you oh what run away you know like right that like typical horror tropes we know today the exorcist goes a different direction where it's very like like it creates a very anxious and suspenseful environment and it doesn't let go no like the tone is very suffocating it's very unrelenting unrelenting yeah and in my opinion, horror films are all the much more impactful because of that. Oh, for and sure. And all the more terrifying. Like, you see these types of tropes being used in films like Hereditary. Yeah. In films like Insidious and in films like The Conjuring. Like, James Wan is totally inspired by like, the, oh, for sure. the great horror artists of the 1970s, including William Fredkin, you know, who directed The Exorcist. Yes. So... Uh, yeah, like, well, you... I'm, it made it on your list as well, so... It did, yeah. You know, like, let's see what um, you got to say about the film. Oh... Where do I start? That's exactly I mean, where I'm at. I'm like, like, oh my gosh, there's so many things. Um, I just think so terrifying on like such a visceral level. Um, because it's just like the idea of like a foreign being, like an evil entity, like invading your body, and there's nothing you can do about it, mm-hmm. is terrifying enough in itself. Um, but like the imagery is scary, like the whole like head spinning around Ooh. scene, the whole like. The power of Christ comes out. She's just like floating. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's just so scary. It's terrifying. Um, The fucking back bend walk down the freaking stairs. Yeah. The crucifix scene. That. So the crucifix scene, actually, I'm assuming you saw the director's cut then. No, actually, no. Okay. Is it much more? Well, maybe uh, it's more graphic because I I watched the director's cut of the movie when I first watched it. uh I didn't see like the theatrical release. 
So there was moments where it's so graphic, like the crucifix image, you're like, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, so it isn't, okay. So it isn't the theatrical version. Maybe it's a little bit more graphic than the director's cut, but yeah. Imagine that, like, <sighs> this film being shown to audiences worldwide in a movie theater. The imagery that you see, even today, is still very stark and very disturbing. Oh, for sure. Like, um, for those of you guys out there that have seen The Exorcist, um, they they do some things that you don't see in film today. And also, that another honestly, movie that really pushed the envelope. Really pushed the envelope to the point where, like, there's films that don't do it today because it could get them in trouble. Oh, like, yeah. William Fredkin, the director of the film, he decided to play around with the, the notion of kind of instilling, like planting a fear of this uh, demonic entity without even oh, introducing yeah. it. You see, see like flashes. You it, see though. flashes. Yeah. You see flashes and instances within the dark, within silhouettes, within small, like if you blink, if you miss them, kind yeah. of moments. But they're flashes of the demon in Pazuzu's face mm-hmm. throughout the film. Oh, thank you for saying his name. I could yeah. not like <laughs> think of the demon's name for the life of me right now. I'm like, what is the demon's name? And so. if we go into demonology, like Pazuzu, uh, Bahamut, like all of these are like considered like the, the major demons. Mm-hmm. Really big scary guys you don't want to deal with. So, oh, yeah. Uh, the demon, you see his face flash throughout the film. And it's essentially like subliminal. Yeah. Like if you're if you're not looking for it, which was like the intention of it. Right. Was to make it so that on a subconscious level, you're already creating a face to the entity. Exactly. And very terrifying. Well, like, I think I, it, like I have a very irrational fear of subliminal messages. So like, knowing that that was in the movie, <laughs> yeah, I'm right. like, oh, I hate this. But because of this fact, it actually got the director and Warner Brothers who released the film mm-hmm. in a little bit of legal trouble because a man claimed that he was so terrified of these images uh-huh. that were flashing that he leaped up in his seat and, and hit, his jaw, hit his jaw. His yeah, that's jaw what I was going to say. So hard on the seat that it dislocated his jaw, is Shit. what he claimed. Yeah. So he took Warner Brothers to court. They settled it out of court for an undisclosed sum. But it, it showed that William Fredkin really did some things that really pushed the boundaries to the point where it's like, okay, maybe we should dial it back a bit. Right. Because there's some filmmakers, you know, obviously you don't want legal action, you know, pursued against you, and then you have to spend some money or take it a quarter, whatever, you know, right. just to settle it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, like that film holds a record within the U.S. for the film that has made the most people walk out of a movie to throw up. Just because it was so scary. It's so scary, and just how yeah. gross it is. It is a gross film too. It, you yeah, it, you know, um, uh, and like where the Halloween has a very iconic score. Yeah, I would say The Exorcist also has an iconic score. But you so many iconic you scores don't hear from the seventies. Actually, you don't hear the score. The very end, you know, the two That's true. Yeah. 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 Which, here by itself, it's a uh, doesn't sound scary. No. But when you can associate it with The Exorcist, then it, then it becomes terrifying. Oh really yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I also like um, think it's crazy, like the impact that this movie had when it first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all you listeners. We actually have like a surprise that we want to do for you. I am going to call my mother because I want to hear her like whole story with like when she went and saw The Exorcist for the first time. So yeah, because she was of age to like see. She was, yeah. Yeah. Um, her and my dad both were. So I'm gonna call her real quick. We'll see if she picks up. 
an impromptu guest appearance. Yes. Come on, Mom. What's up? What's up? So, um... There? I'm here. What are you doing? Um, so surprise, we're actually recording a podcast episode right now. Um, we're doing <laughs> we're do- um we're doing the seventies right now. Um, so I wanted to call and ask you, um, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your experience with The Exorcist the very first time you ever saw it. Probably the last time you ever saw it, because I don't know if you've ever if you ever watched it again. Did you? The one and only time I ever watched that movie, it was terrifying. And why why did it scare you so much? Because I don't like anything that has to do with evil. Anything. Yeah. My my sister and I had to sleep back to back for like a month. <laughs> I was so scared. It was terrifying. Had to have worst thing ever. Had to have holy water next to your bed. You slept with probably a cross at night. No, but I did. I did pray every night. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. It was terrifying. That is the worst movie <laughs> ever. <laughs> um. Well, I also wanted to talk to you. Um. Can you kind of just recall to me like what it was like back at the time of that movie, like the phenomenon. Um. Because, I mean, you were you were obviously alive. You were old enough to, I guess, remember it pretty well. Um, do you remember, like, the impact that it had? No, because, I, I mean, I was only, like, what year did that come out? 70... I think I was, like, it was, like, nine, I think, nine or ten. It was 73 when it came out, yeah. Oh, then, yeah, I didn't watch it until the 80s. Oh, so you were, you were way older then. Yeah, yeah. Because we weren't allowed to watch stuff like that, and... And growing up as a kid, like, we didn't get our first VCR until I was, like, middle school. Yeah. Like, so it's not like you could bring movies home and watch them. You had to see them in the theater. So we watched The Exorcist the first time when I was older, and um, it was brought into the home by my dad's wife's son. And um, it was terrifying. That was a terrifying it is, yeah. We were, yeah, we were like, just... Like when her head spins around and she starts like, ah! I was like, <laughs> F that, I'm out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like when she's floating and like doing all of her, yeah, I was like, nope, I'm out. You're like, yeah. fuck this movie, yeah. I'm done. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Uh... Yep. And it was like, hey, man. Um, and she was like, hey, you sleeping with me tonight? I'm like, yep. <laughs> you're sleeping with me tonight, yep. It was terrifying. Nice. Yeah. I think that was probably the first scary movie I'd ever seen. So, and I mean, what a way to start your scary movie. Like, so <laughs> after that, they weren't really scary anymore. And that might... That movie... Right, and that and that might be why you hate horror movies now. No, like I just think they're like stupid. <laughs> Nobody says, "Hey, let's let's go check out this shop, the shed full of chainsaws." Right. We're in the middle of nowhere. Let's. What's that noise? <laughs> let's go okay, check I it out. It. 
I I might do that. And while I, we're at I, it, I let's split up too because yeah, safety and numbers. Pff, what is that? Nobody does that. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm sorry. After watching that movie, The Strangers or whatever, remember that movie where they're camping in that place and somebody comes and yeah, stop going to the woods. Yeah. That shit could really happen. Oh yeah. It's not like some of these other stupid ones like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> hey. Like, don't shit on the movie that is Nightmare on Elm Street. Hey, I'm not saying, like, I watched those. Those were my era. But, yeah. like, they've just gotten stupid, so I don't like them. I just, <sighs> I have anxiety enough. I don't need stupid shit giving me anxiety. <laughs> enough stupid shit gives me anxiety. But, no, like, if you have not seen the movie The Car from the 70s, that's another one that will like it was filmed it was filmed in the St. George area when yeah. I was a kid oh yeah you were and, telling me that yeah and that's another movie that as a kid terrified me why I don't know because it's stupid <laughs> it's just a car running people over but it was terrifying yeah sometimes yeah. it's like the most simple concepts that can really be terrifying yeah because that shit could really happen yeah that's why Freddy Krueger and them aren't scary because <laughs> not really gonna happen but the exorcist and some evil car mowing you down that shit could really happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, um is there anything else you want to say before i let you go no i'm just really proud of you and roman for this i mean you're doing awesome thank you mom you're okay, such yes you're such Don't a dear exorcist it's fucking terrifying <laughs> uh yeah we've been we've been talking about how terrifying it is and then I kind of wanted to, sorry for not warning you ahead of time or in advance um, that I was going to call you, but I kind of wanted it to be candid, so. Thought. Hey, no problem. Glad I could join in. Well, th- <laughs> thank <laughs> Yeah, just don't watch, just don't invite evil into your home. There you go. <laughs> right. That's my word of advice. <laughs> and you won't have to sleep with your sister. Oh, I've already slept with my sister, so. I, because when we watched the Babadook for the first time, me and Maddie slept together. Yeah, we slept together. So <laughs> that's already been there, done that. Um, so cut this out, but I wanted to share, don't, don't put this on there. But I want to share this with you and Roman. So like the other day I'm sitting in the living room on the couch and dad's not home. Cause I know you guys have been kind of going back and forth with paranormal. Uh-huh. So you know where my spot on the couch is? Yeah. I'm looking into the kitchen. And literally walks through. No, what? Wait, what? What walks through? Like, something walks through from the breezeway into the kitchen. Did you get a good look at it? Yes. And so I said, I wasn't going to tell your sister and Danny, you know, because they kind of get freaked out and Danny doesn't believe in it anyway. But Maddie said the other night she was sitting in my spot and saw the exact same thing. And dad has seen it too. Oh my, wow. That's crazy. It's like tall. Well, I I thought that, you know, the whole every house that we lived in was haunted curse was over, but I guess not. <laughs> I guess I brought something with me to that house too. And it just stayed with you guys. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's like we haven't had a whole lot, but I mean, this is, three of us have seen it now. Just saying. Damn. Well... I know you said that you don't want us to put this on here, but this is way too good not to put on. This is staying. I'm sorry. This no, is Michael. 
What? No. Why? People think we're fucking freaks. I don't, Mom. Me and Roman <laughs> have talked about several like paranormal type stuff in our episodes. I don't think people. Yeah, people can think what they want though, so they believe it yeah. or not, whatever. But yeah, I that's. Know, so I just wanted to share that with you because since Roman's right there, but you don't have to put it in your episode. You can cut it out. But we're, pretty we're, crazy, huh? We're putting it on the episode, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can't start. You can't start anything with saying "Don't put this on the episode" because you know very well that I'll put it on the episode. <laughs> well, I could have made it up. After all, I am day drinking. Oh my gosh! It's five o'clock somewhere, right? <laughs> it was five o'clock somewhere at fucking noon today. <laughs> COVID nineteen made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> that is no shit. <laughs> okay. I love, I love you. you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. That was a treat. <laughs> that was great. I like your mom. She's funny. Oh, uh, gosh. But yeah. there we go, listeners. Um, don't watch The Exorcist. Or, you got to watch The Exorcist, uh, you got to make sure you got your big boy pants on. Exactly. That is that is a very terrifying. Put thing. on your adult diapers, put in The Exorcist, and prepare to be terrified. Oh, seriously. That's scary about what your mom said about like the oh like my that gosh being. yeah because that's what your not your childhood home but like no but like you were there like what, maybe high school at least no I was there so um I was out of high school because my parent my family lives in Kansas now and they've only lived there since 2014 okay um, so you're 21 around yeah time. so I lived with them for a little bit I lived with them for a couple of years and uh, like I said like. I experienced a few things like my sister experienced a few things while we were living there. Um, but I never like thought that the house that they lived in in Kansas was haunted, but I guess I was wrong. I guess, uh, shit's still happening. So insidious. Oh God. Well, it's scary because my, um, my family always says it's me like that. Something's been following me since I was like born. Like you touched like a haunted lamp. Right. And, um, I don't know, like, it could be true, um, which is crazy that I, like, watched horror movies and shit with all this (laughs) stuff that has happened to me in my real life, Um, but yeah, don't want to get too off subject there, we'll save that for a later time. I have, like like I've told you you guys before, everyone that's listening, I have many, many um, stories to tell regarding paranormal stuff, so we'll save that for a later time, but yeah, The Exorcist, 1973. Terrifying film. Uh, but a classic, you know, oh, infamous sure. film. It's a staple. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, it is one that a lot of people know about. Some have seen, some haven't. But it's definitely known for its just how absolutely horrifying it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but yeah. That's uh, that's your number five. That was my number five. That's my number five. So we kind of killed two birds with one stone there. Yeah. So with that, that puts us at our halfway point. So yep. let's uh, really quick go to a break, and then afterwards we'll be right back. Perfect. Okay. Sounds good. All right, and we're back. So let's continue our top tens list, huh? Yes, so, so you're the next one. Yeah, because you yeah. finished with The Exorcist. So my next one, that'll be number six, is a film that came out in 1976. It is a oh. originally Stephen King novel. Oh, I know Is there overlap? Do you, do you yep, have there is overlap, right. yep. Starts with a C? Carrie. Ends in Aerie? Yeah, Carrie. Aerie. So. Ends in Aerie. <laughs> <laughs> so Carrie, that made on my list. I watched that film when I was pretty young as a kid and it was that was a scary movie yeah but in a different way it was more like 
it was scary because like everybody all around her constantly pushed her to like this, this point yeah this boiling state. point yeah. yeah that's a movie where they quote like oh they're all gonna laugh at you they're gonna laugh at you yeah okay they're gonna laugh at you yeah my mom would always say that i'm like what are you quoting mom and then i'm like oh okay all right yeah uh, but that film although it's not the best horror film it ever made cer- there's certainly things that haven't aged well with it yeah it is still an iconic 70s horror oh for film. sure and, and that's it's why it's on my list yeah it's one that's more it's like it's personal i guess it's more yeah. like it was a horror film that I watched very young, so it shaped like the kind of films that I would watch later, right? Horror wise, and they're still very like iconic shots, you know. Oh, for sure. Like at the prom, and then the pig blood falling. Oh my gosh! Like, yeah, everywhere, and she's completely terrified. And, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Good performance. Oh, by like, Sissy Sa- yeah. Spacek. Yeah, she's so good in like, this movie. Phenomenal performance. Um, but yeah, what do you have to add? Because it's on your list too. So yeah. Well, I I do personally feel like of like the slew of all the Stephen King movies that were adapted, this is by far one of the better ones. It falls in the, like the spectrum of like the better movie, the better half of his movies that have ever been made. Um, But yeah, I think as we said before, there are certain things that don't age well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think still though, for like the prom scene for its time, like so good with like the practical and special effects for mm-hmm. the time very good um yeah like we said the acting is really good um there's some like really good moment like shots iconic shots uh cinematography the idea itself is really interesting too um like what we were saying with just the fact that like basically she has these powers she doesn't know how to harness them and basically these bully like these school bullies basically drive her to use her powers to manage yeah yeah because like, she has like like psychonetic powers that she's yep. coming telekinesis to, to, yeah. yeah so she can like move shit she can you know basically harness the power to basically cause death and destruction eviscerate people yeah yeah and it's it's also kind of tragic in a way i feel like because she's not like she's not a monster no. i don't feel like she's a monster and uh, in a way it's almost like a frankenstein kind of story yeah you know they drove her to this they drove her to this this point of madness and murder and the sad thing is is it's like she she doesn't even realize what's really happening and that's Mm -hmm. like the the tragic part of it it's it's you know it's just the fact that she has no control Mm -hmm. it these things like it's when it happens it just there's no control she just basically loses her mind essentially mm-hmm. well not loses her mind but loses the power to have any control over what happens and i just think that's kind of tragic it's it's a it's a horror movie of course but there's also like underlining thing themes of like tragedy and you, you like you you feel you feel sorry for sissy spacex character because yeah. of like what she's going through and <clears throat> you know so I don't think she's a monster. I honestly think that it was like what happened in her, like what shaped her life that caused her to go to the lengths that she went to. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting aspect as well. Like the idea is intriguing. The, 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 the battle between good and evil, like you root for this character. I mean, basically by the end, like, 
I'm gonna sound like a psychopath for saying this, but it's like during the prom scene, you're like, yeah, give them what they deserve, Carrie. Yeah, kill them. You like, do kind of feel that way. Yeah, yeah, and like they definitely um, more so focused on that fact in the remake with um, not the one that was, wasn't there one that came out in the 90s that's just really not good. That I don't know if I was thinking of the more and more recent. I swear one. they've made a couple of remakes based on the you 1978 right. one, but uh, there's one that came out in 2000. 13 i believe okay and yeah, it yeah, has yeah. chloe grace moritz yeah in that's it. what i'm thinking about. i love chloe grace moritz but um more so i do think that the prom scene in in that movie is a lot more satisfying because it's like they definitely made the kids a lot more demented and and fucking evil in the remake like they're if you think they're bad in the 1978 version they are so much worse in the remake and it's so much more satisfying when you watch all of them get killed, but then at the same time, it's like, as horrible as they are, they're just stupid kids. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's kind of like that loss of innocence, that loss of, you know, I guess, really losing yourself to something that you can't control. Yeah. And it's just, it's a terrifying thing, but it's also a tragic thing. So I don't mean to go off on like such a tangent with that. But I, I, I like the concept that it's not just a horror film. It's it's also, you know, a a study on, like, how you can be pushed to a certain place, I yeah. guess. And also tragedy, sense. really, as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm rambling on, but, Because, you know. like, she never really... She never wanted to hurt anyone. No. She never she, wanted to kill anyone. It just... It got to that point. She just wanted connection. She wanted friends. She wanted, she wanted fr- to, yep. to be understood and to right. know where she is and... By the end of it, although, like, it, it is a bit cathartic seeing everyone who had been who had wronged her meet their demise. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, so it's still tragic, and it is a tragedy because oh, yeah. she did not want to do this. You know her right. her confusion and like just complete and in feeling inferior snowballed and grew into just just complete anger and hatred. Right. You know, and at that point. It's, it is heartbreaking, and like you said, it's uh, the film. While also a horror film, is also just an interesting study. Oh yeah, and uh, for sure, because it could have been anything, you know. Like it could have been, maybe not. She has psychonetic powers, and she, um, you know, mute, not mutilates, but just kills everyone. She could have shot up the school, you know. Not to make the conversation sound dark, right. but she could have killed someone. So it's like it is still an expose onto the human psyche of just what bullying someone or pushing someone away or pushing them to an absolute limit can do can do you know yeah so uh interesting film and actually probably more relevant today more than ever oh for sure yeah yeah but yeah uh, but yeah carrie uh good movie uh on my top tens if you haven't seen it uh it is a product of its time it does feel like a 70s movie but still oh definitely yeah there's so many Thank you so much, yeah, Colin. Thank you. Our wonderful host got us some drinks. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you, Colin. <laughs> Keep us hydrated. Yeah, we gotta stay, gotta stay ready for this podcast. All right, cool, cool. If you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. Truth. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's uh, my number six, right? That's also yeah, on your list. So you're number it six. is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we've got five for six right now that we've overlapped on now. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Maybe your next Seven one. For, yeah, might, well, because 
Yeah, because, um, like, I'm just going to snowball off of The Exorcist and talk about another movie that kind of follows a similar vein of The Exorcist, um, but just in, like, a different kind of way. And that movie came out in 1976. Do you want to take any guesses <laughs> on what that is? I think it's also on our list. Is it The Omen? Yeah. Yeah, okay, it is on my list. <laughs> it is on, okay. Yeah. So, wow. So we're going six for seven we're now. We're on the same I know, right I, it's crazy. Um which surprises me because I don't know. I I thought that we would have had more in common, like on like the later on decade lists. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But as you said before, um, you're more um, inspired by like the classics of like the seventies and yeah. the eighties and mm-hmm. all those movies that came before. So, so I guess the further it's not backwards we go, the more overlap. Right. So, eh, that's fine. Um. So yeah. So basically. The IMDb description for this one is American diplomat Robert adopts Damien when his wife Catherine delivers a stillborn child. After Damien's first nanny hangs herself, Father Brennan warns Robert that Damien will kill Catherine's unborn child. Shortly thereafter, Brennan dies and Catherine miscarries when Damien pushes her off a balcony. As more people around Damien die, Robert investigates Damien's background and realizes his adopted son may be the Antichrist. This film is That is a very... um, it's, spoiler it is kind of it like is. <laughs> i mean the uh, the hanging though is, is pretty early oh I remember my watching gosh that as well. this is for you Dan. that's another oh, this is for you and it's like jesus Christ. see and that's another scene on tv that like scarred me yeah for like so long after i watched it because damien this is all for you and then it's just, oh no i can't <laughs> like yeah it was just so uh i remember I, yeah i saw the film I think it was afterwards. I think I saw the remake before I saw the original one. Because the oh, remake yeah, came yeah. out. It was like a big deal, you know, like 666, June 6, 2006, right. The Omen. So I'm like, oh, it was all like a big conspiracy type thing. It was, I was a little creeped out by that. I was like, oh, that's that, the devil's one. Oh, okay. And I watched it and I prefer the original more. Mm-hmm. The remake isn't bad. Though. The remake is almost kind of like shot for shot. Yeah, it is. It's almost like the remake of Psycho. Yeah. It's like basically shot for shot. It's shot like for everything. shot. It's pretty... Um, faithful but better to watch the original right now so the original is really scary i feel like i feel like it's less in common with uh like the exorcist in tone and more in common with like rosemary's baby oh for sure it feels like you got rosemary's baby and you continue the story you know right like you up the ante you know because like uh, and that Rosemary Berry is obviously like, oh, she's going to birth the Antichrist. And then we have the omen. Damien is the Antichrist. Yeah. So it's like, I always considered when I was younger that it was a sequel. Yeah. But more like a spiritual successor. Because I knew there were different filmmakers. But I always figured that the omen is much more openly terrifying than Rosemary's yeah, oh, Baby. Because sure. Rosemary's Baby is like, very it's, subtle. It's subtle and it just creates uneasiness, you mm-hmm. know. Whereas the omen is just, you get scenes like a hanging and deaths and just like, much more in your face right. terror, I guess. Um, good movie though. Oh, really for sure. Movie. Yeah, great acting. Great acting. Great cinematography. There's some like pretty. Um, yeah, there's some really good memorable scenes, like the the scene where the nanny hangs herself. Yeah. Uh, the balcony scene. Yeah, all so good. Mm-hmm. Such a good movie. A classic. I, I should rewatch it because it has been a while too, though. Yeah, for me too. Yeah, I. Uh, been a, it's another movie that I probably should have brushed up on a little bit before we started talking about this mm-hmm. but um, since we're not we're trying to be as spoiler free as possible I think yeah. I think it's okay it is a good we... movie it's not my favorite film of the 70s 
but it is iconic of its time. Oh, so for if sure. If you want to oh, yeah. research about horror films of the 70s, a very like formative decade. Yes. Uh, that definitely should be on your watch list. Oh, yeah. But yeah, The Omen. Ooh, there we go. Good Indeed. one. All right, Roman. So this is your number... Is it your number seven or your number eight? That was your my, seven, right? Let's see. That was my seven. Yeah. Oh, the oh, so you're on number eight now. Yeah. So wow. you want me to go next? Cr- yeah. Oh, because you said yeah, Omen. Yeah, I said the but Omen, we overlap. Yeah. So yeah, this is my yep. number eight. Okay. So this one came out in 1979, near the end of the decade, same year as Alien. Oh, yeah. Um, iconic horror film. Like this one. It has also kind of like the same kind of like trap with the monster mm-hmm. like narrative direction as Alien as well. I didn't realize that. But this one is the Amityville Horror. Oh, Which okay. spawned many different many sequels different, and remakes yep. afterwards. But nothing comes close to the original, which is based on true events which, of an American yeah. suburban family where father is convinced that he has been... No, it's not the father. Well, in the movie, it's In the, the movie, father. it's the father. Right. In the real events... It's it's roughly based off. I don't know what was there a familial relationship in the actual story, the real life story. Um. So what happens in the original story is that like one of the like one of the eldest sons. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um. Supposedly started hearing voices in the house telling him to kill his family. Yeah. And so like he went around the house and basically like massacred his entire family with yeah. a shotgun, basically. Which is completely awful and provide the inspiration for the film. Right. Of horror. Uh, which but it focuses more on like well. the Lutz family when they after they move in after or not, yeah the Lutz mm-hmm. the Lutzes when they move in yeah it's they based move off in. of what they experience after the fact. True is yeah. what the movie mostly focuses on. But we still also see the carnage of the, the oh, murders of course, as yeah. well, like the the derangedness and the like the psychosis of mm-hmm. this father who eventually starts to, to like the story kill the family. But it it's not so quick, I guess, as a real right life events like. He goes around the the home with an axe, and he starts like, is is completely terrifying. Yeah, it's a bit of a slasher flick, but the beginnings of what would become the slasher genre in the eighties. So yeah, more in line with like, The Shining, I guess. Very psychological. Psychological. Very definitely. paranormal. Mm-hmm. More more so paranormal, psychological, atmospheric. Yeah. yeah. Like right in the ballpark of the kind of stuff that really unnerves me. So right, the Amityville Horror that was one that I didn't want to watch until I was a little bit older. I'm glad because it probably would have freaked me out more if I was younger. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Amityville Horror. That's why I kind of got tripped up with like Amity Island, you know, because they're both the same. Yeah, they're yeah. both 70, so I was like, oh, shoot. But yeah, I'm assuming this one didn't make your list. It didn't. Um, okay. So you have one that's not overlapped. All right, cool. Right. Um. Well, no, no, now we have two. Oh, yeah. Because you two, didn't two. have a. Uh... Oh, wait. Which one didn't you have? Oh, Suspiria. You yeah. Didn't have Suspiria. Yeah. Um, I I actually prefer the remake, like oh, the one really? that came out in two thousand five. I love the remake to Amityville Horror. Like, okay, did that make your two thousand list? No, did I don't even think it mentions? made my honorable mentions. No, okay, okay. there were just so many that yeah, I really yeah. had to be like super nitpicky about it. Because um, as all the listeners know, for my two thousands one, how many honorable mentions did I have? Like twelve. It was originally on my honorable mentions list, and I had to cut. <laughs> I had a lot of honorable mentions, so for the sake and time of the podcast, I definitely had to cut a lot off. It was really hard to do. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, it was so hard. Just kidding. But, I mean, yeah, no, it was originally on my honorable mentions, but 
didn't quite make the cut. So, gotcha, but gotcha. I do prefer the remake, the remake over the original. The original. Yeah. Okay. Much, yeah, definitely much more watchable. Cause the original hasn't really aged that well. No. It does feel like a seventies film and it does. Yeah. Can't really say embrace those qualities because yeah. it's just a product of its time. You know? There's just like certain, but that's the tricky thing because there's certain movies like from the '70s that you watch and you're like, I can't tell this is from the '70s. So for yeah. example, like Halloween, yeah, like, it doesn't feel like it feels like it's a '70s movie, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's aged. It's timeless. It's in its it own is. universe. Right. That it creates. Yeah. And so same with Alien. Like I don't feel like that's a '70s movie either oh, when I watch it. Not at all. So it's like, just you know, certain certain movies like have different, I guess effects mm-hmm. you know yeah so. but yeah yeah so that is my number eight the very nice Earth. very nice so i don't know if you have this one this is gonna be my number is this my number eight as well uh i think so yeah. no i think this is my number seven. Oh, okay yeah this is my number seven i believe because there's still three more on my list that i haven't said so my number seven is of a film that came out in 74 and that is a movie called it's a holiday horror movie do you want to guess 74 huh yeah holiday it's another horror it's another horror movie that takes place on a holiday Mm. you got me i don't know black christmas black christmas i've heard of it yeah never seen it it's uh directed by bob clark and um you've never heard of it i've heard of it i've never seen it oh okay i misheard you i'm sorry i'm like <laughs> no, <you're good. laughs> i'm like looking at you like roman get out no, i've just heard of it and i've heard a lot of people say good things about it i just haven't seen yeah it. um so it's directed by bob clark um the imdb description goes as follows it says as winter break begins a group of sorority sisters and the uh including jess and the often inebriated barb begin to receive anonymous phone calls initially barb eggs the caller on but stops when he responds threateningly soon barb's friend claire goes missing from the sorority house and a local adolescent girl is murdered leading the girls to suspect a serial killer is on the loose but no one realizes just how near the culprit is mm, who done it who done it yeah okay um so i feel like this movie um it, it i feel like it kind of takes the same approach that halloween did in a sense that you get a lot of um, perspectives from the killer. Like, you get a lot of killer perspectives. Um, so I definitely don't think Halloween's the first one that did, like, the first-person point-of-view type of thing. I mean, there were many, many movies that came before it. But um, Black Christmas has, like, a lot of that. Uh, there, There is some, like, disturbing scenes, but it relies more on, like, tension and atmosphere. Um, the direction's really good. The cinematography's great. There's just some really iconic like moments mm-hmm. that um, stand out to me specifically. Uh, I won't get into them because I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen it. But um, just a really, really well-directed, well-shot, well-acted for the most part. Um, just very, like, I also, I don't know if I'm going to get crucified for saying this, but I really really enjoy the 2006 remake of black christmas um it's not it's not like a fantastic movie by any means like i can understand why a lot of people despise it um because it's definitely more of like the blood and guts type of approach 
um, with like a slasher type of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely doesn't follow like the the subtle concept that the original Black Christmas does. It's definitely way more bloody, way more gory, way more over the top. But it's a fun one. Um, I think they're both fun in their own way. Like the 74 one is fun. Um, and it, it's very good at creating atmosphere and, dr- and the sense of dread and, you know, the, the concept of you're in this like sorority house. It kind of goes back to like what we were saying about like the shining or, um, misery. Like you're kind of stuck in one place. You can't just like, you know, cause it's snowing, like where mm-hmm. are you going to go type of thing. So it's like, you're basically stranded inside this house as like people keep disappearing and getting picked off one by one. And it's, it's just very, it's a, it is a slasher movie, but, um, they take the more subtle approach with like, it's not as gory as like most slasher movies that people know about. Um, it definitely takes more of like the Halloween approach with that, with like mm. less blood and more kind of like atmospheric yeah. tension. So that's what I really like about the original. Um, so yeah, uh, that's all I'll say about that. But Black Christmas, Black like seventy four, pretty good movie. Right, I cool, love it. Cool. If you haven't seen it, Roman, obviously you haven't. So you should probably yeah, definitely watch it. Too. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's so good. <clears throat> all right then, cool. So on to my next one then, huh? Is this your last one? No, I have two more left. Oh, actually. okay. So this one, I don't think is on your list. I always, I always feel like I have a, a curveball right, well, on my top we'll ones. See. So, yes, this is a monster movie, uh-huh. but not quite horror. It's in the 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 premise of horror, but in all all honesty, it's a comedy movie, kind of in the same way that two thousands Shaun of the Dead is a comedy right. with a horror premise. So this one, I actually didn't watch this movie until maybe five years ago. Okay, with Swayze, and it was Halloween time. And we we're like. It's on TV. Let's watch it. Yeah. And it was absolutely hilarious. I'm like, why has it been this long for me to watch this movie? 1974, Young Frankenstein. No, definitely not on my list. I don't think I've even seen it. So so. that movie is such a funny movie. There's Gene Wilder. You got your your classic comedians of the 70s at the time. Gene Wilder, he plays Willy Wonka. Mm -hmm. Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factory. That movie's scary. Yeah. We talk about scary scary movies. That movie is terrifying. I do not like it. Yeah. You lose. It's, like, it's a it's a good movie, but yeah. uh, Young Frankenstein is about a uh, younger Frankenstein. You know the doctor who creates a Frankenstein, and it's like the tropes of the Frankenstein story with a lot of comedy imbued in it. Right, and it's just a funny movie. It's in black and white, strictly just to kind of create that horror film atmosphere. Yeah, but it's not a scary film. Um, just just good fun, just good yeah. fun. Like if you want to watch a if you want to watch a appropriate like Halloweeny kind of movie during the season, it during the season, it's cheesy but like intentionally, you know. Right. It's like if you want to watch a Halloween movie for the season, but you don't want to watch necessarily a scary film, but just something a little bit more lighthearted, something a little bit more fun. Entirely recommend Young Frankenstein. <laughs> That's a good one. Nice. Uh, fun fact. Kind of related, but not really. Aerosmith. I'm a huge like classic rock fan too. Mm-hmm. Aerosmith has a song called "Walk This Way," um, that was inspired by the film Young Frankenstein. They were, you know, just smoking pot, super <laughs> high, watching Young Frankenstein. And there's one point where Igor, the assistant for uh, Doctor Frankenstein, is like, "Hey, uh, walk this way with me." And he starts like limping, and they're like, "Okay." So then they start limping too, kind of like <laughs> imitating what he's doing. Right. And they're like, "Oh, we should write a song about that." So 
I don't know. That's wow, a little fun bit fun. of trivia. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there you go. Very interesting. Young Frankenstein. Not necessarily a horror film, even not at all in the same vein as like The Exorcist, but still a fun movie of the 70s right. that follows around, you know, horror tropes. Very nice. Yeah, there we go. Nice pick. I, yeah, that's not something I would have <laughs> guessed, so that's cool. Um, I don't know. You may or may not have this on your list. Um, I know you said previously that you're not a huge fan of like this genre, but it is a George A. Romero movie. Is it... Dawn of the Dead? It is. There 1978. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. Um, I don't really like zombie films, but I respect George A. Romero. Like, oh, he's definitely sure. is like the godfather of the, the zombie genre of really horror in general. Like, he really oh yeah, uh, definitely deserves a place for horror films of today. Um, yeah, I've never seen Dawn of the Dead, but... What? I never really? It. Yeah. Have you seen his other ones? Uh, I've seen Night of the Living Dead. Which is, really is that the old. one where he's like, they're coming for you, Barbara? Stop, so. you're being ignorant. Like, it's, it's like a 50s movie. Yeah. yeah. It's it's older. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically, uh, let's look up the IMDb description. So basically, the IMDb description says, as hordes of zombies swarm over the U.S., the terrified populace tries everything in their power to escape the attack of the undead, but neither cities." Neither cities nor the countryside prove safe. In Pennsylvania, radio station employee Stephen and his girlfriend Francine escape in the station helicopter, accompanied by two renegade SWAT members, Roger and Pete. The group retreats to the haven of an enclosed shopping center to make what could be humanity's last stand. Okay. So, pretty much in a nutshell, says what the movie's about. Yeah, typical zombie film. Right. Yeah. And um, you also have, like, the legendary talents of Tom Savini, which, like, was huge in the 70s and in the 80s. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of, like, practical effects, makeup and stuff. And, like, the practical effects in this movie are still pretty good, even okay. for the time. Um, I just think it's a really fun zombie movie. Um, the acting's pretty good. The, the cinematography pretty good for the most part um it also like inspired the remake that came out in 2004 which i actually is another remake i really enjoy i really enjoy yes actually yeah i really like the the remake that came out in 2004 i think it's a very solid uh remake so um yeah so dawn of the dead 1978 nice it's a good one yeah george romero legend he is a legend Tom Savini, legendary. All... He's right up there, you know, like John Carpenter, uh, Wes Craven, George Romero. Oh, yeah. These are huge, like, just spearheads. Oh, the for sure. Film genre. So, sweet. It's definitely deserves a place on the list. Thank you. Uh, on to my last one, though. This is the end of my list, yeah. Ooh. My number 10. Again, as always, I don't have honorable mentions list. So this ends my list right here, and then we'll <laughs> like send the baton over to Michael, and he'll round off the episode. Oh, man. So with this one, actually, I think we have overlap with this. This is a really? film that came out in 1974 as well. Same year as Young Frankenstein. However, this one, um, really low I budget. I know what it is. But really pushing envelope as well. Is this it? is... The Texas Chainsaw Master. The Texas Chainsaw Master. It's not on my list. It's not on your list. It's on my honorable mentions. Gotcha. So, the Texas Chainsaw Master was definitely a budget film. Did not have the same budgets as, like, Halloween or The Exorcist or Jaws. Like, and it tells. Like, you can tell. It's a slasher flick. Yeah. 
it um just can't be at times you know like some people that like the texas chainsaw massacre are diehard fans uh some people really don't like this movie i wouldn't say it's my favorite horror film of all Mm -hmm. time but it makes it on my list because i respect it for what it did content wise right like the director when he submitted this film to the mpaa they wouldn't give it a rating Mm -hmm. at the time you either got an r rating you got a triple x rating which was like kind of the same as like pornographic right the MPAA would still give it that rating for films that were more than an r or you just went unrated which means you couldn't really hold a film at really any major movie theaters you know movie theaters in america if it was like a chain even now you know if it doesn't have a rating it will not be shown right you know and x rating god no you know that would only show in like porno theaters at the time (laughs) which you don't see today yeah so it's like that means going directly online so this filmmaker really wanted to push the envelope of what an r-rated horror film could be so i think he remade he resubmitted this film countless times like recut and like stuff. recut 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 just to achieve an r rating just to see exactly how bad a movie could be but still be accessible to like a general audience right it could still be marketable so it is a graphic film oh yeah it's violent it is bloody it is scary but like it's definitely no exorcist scary you know it is a slasher horror scary but it definitely it's more like disturbingly scary yeah like, just like, like the premise is scary yeah it's unnerving um but outright what you see visually it hasn't aged well so it is a bit cheesy but i respect yeah. it for its um ambitiousness in trying oh, yeah. to push what can still be r-rated what can still be uh, acceptable shown, you know? yeah, to, exactly. yeah you know so if it wasn't for like the perseverance and the gutsiness of a filmmaker to constantly going to the MPA uh, to get a re-rating to finally get the rating he wanted, maybe we wouldn't see that kind of behavior now, you know, like movies like Saw or movie right. like very, very violent movies that maybe might not have achieved an R rating had it not been for movies filmmakers before, before that yeah. tried to strive for that. You know? Right. So um, it is still considered a classic and it's in the lexicon of horror films. Right up there with uh, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Leatherface is one that you oh, constantly yeah. see within the horror community's lexicon. So if you're into slasher flicks and you really like the vibe and the... the gr- it's very the gritty. Tone, it is very it's gritty. very gritty. Like, I would definitely call it guerrilla filmmaking. Oh, for sure. Like, and it embraces it too. Yeah. So if you're really into that style of filmmaking, I would highly recommend... Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's on my list because I respect it for where it stands. Not my favorite horror film, though. Yeah, it uh, it didn't make it on my list just because of the fact that, um, it's on an enjoyable on an enjoyability level. It's not as enjoyable for me um, mm. as other, I guess, movies of that decade. Um, it's definitely not one of the first movies that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna pop this in and watch it. It's not. I don't know. It's just not a movie that entertains me all the time um mm-hmm. also it's like you said it doesn't age very well yeah i mean i get i get that you know they didn't have much of a budget um and i i as you were saying i do appreciate the fact that they did what they did with the budget that they had yeah um but at the same time it's still definitely like one of those like 
I guess, grittier, very low quality type of movies. Um, mm-hmm. There are some really cool shots, though. Yeah, like, that's so, true. There's, there's that specific shot where the girl's walking up to the house and she's got like the ass, like her ass is like hanging out of the short. Do you know what shot yeah, I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. And it's like just a very track, long tracking shot behind her. She's walking up. That shot is cool. Mm-hmm. I really like that shot. Um, Like that, just, he, there are some certain like shots and there are some like very shocking scenes. Like when you see Leatherface for the first time when he just like, rips open the door and beats the guy with the hammer over the head, like over the head with the hammer. And then, you know, the whole like hook scene. Yeah. Um, there, there are some very memorable scenes. Um, but yeah, it, it made my honorable mentions list because I still appreciate, like you were saying what it did for the genre going forward. But I, I think just personally on an enjoyable level, enjoyability level, it's not my favorite. So that's valid. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I also feel like because of its bare bones nature and like it's very shoestring budget, it kind of inspired a wave of other filmmakers that also may have been inspired to say, I could probably do that too then. I can make a horror film that is made cheaply, but, you know, um, can be effective, can be effective, can also be um, just using your limitations to your advantage and trying right. to make a compelling story. Like, I feel if it wasn't for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's quite possible we wouldn't have Evil Dead. Yeah. Because Evil Dead is kind of made in the same fashion of being very low budget. Oh, very, yeah. Very, like, pushing the envelope of what they can do, what can be achieved on camera. Too much acclaim. Like, yeah. Evil Dead is a cult classic in the same vein that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a cult classic. You know? Oh, for sure. So, I would say these films definitely have their... They're stepping stones in the path and history of the horror filmmaking genre. Oh yeah. So so yeah, that's that's my number ten, and that rounds off my <laughs> top ten list for the seventies. Very nice. So take it away, Michael. Let's hear right. the rest of your list. I don't even remember what, your number eight. This, right no, now? this is my number ten. Oh, this is your turn. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um. So my number ten is a a movie that came out in nineteen seventy three, uh, and. Do you want to take any guesses? It's directed by Robin Hardy. Robin Hardy. 1973. Actually, on IMDb, it says the release date was 1975. But when I was looking up, like, the dates for the movies, mm-hmm. um, it was it said 73. So I don't know if that was when it was made and like then it was released in 73. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Regardless, it's uh, called The Wicker Man. I've yeah. There's there was yeah. a remake with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> oh God, the bees! Oh, the, my eyes, the bees! Yeah, that's yeah, so bad. That's all I know. It's yeah. not a good movie. It's not a good remake at that all. That scene still scares me because I have a Terrible terrifying fear. fear of bees. So do oh, I, because I'm definitely allergic to them. Oh, and okay. Yeah, oh yeah, like if I get stung, like that's it. Game over. <laughs> pretty much, I'll go into anaphylactic shock. <laughs> and like so during summertime when I don't have my epipen when I go places, I'm like, oh, this is dangerous right and yeah so no i i fall in the same category of being afraid of the bees but it's still such a cheesy scene like the bees are so badly like anim- oh, my, eyes. my eyes the bees the bees not nicholas cage's best performance either gosh he's so like hot and cold like there's movies where i think he's a fantastic actor but then yeah. there's other movies where i'm just like the declaration of independence oh god <laughs> anyway yeah, yeah. um but basically, The Wicker Man um, follows 
the main character of Sergeant Howie as he arrives on the small Scottish island of Summer Isle to investigate the report of a missing child. A conservative Christian, the policeman observes the residents' frivolous sexual displays and strange pagan rituals, particularly the temptations of Willow, daughter of the island magistrate, Lord Summer Isle, Lord Summer Isle. The more Sergeant Howie learns about the Islander's strange practices, the closer he gets to tracking down the missing child. So, so I haven't seen Midsummer, but it sounds like Midsummer might have taken a page. Oh, for sure. Oh, there are definitely like um, very similar um, things that you could like imagery wise. Yeah. Um, there's like a scene where he gets burned up in like sight. Spoiler alert, guys. Um, go forward if you don't want to listen to it. But basically, at the end of the movie, he gets burned up inside this big like giant. Uh, life or big giant ass like wooden stick man kind of statue thing he gets burned up inside of that and um yeah so it's like there's just there's a lot of striking similar similarities with this movie in midsummer um but yeah i like i this movie's on my list because i think it's very atmospheric it's very it's a very much a tension building like psychological type of movie where the moment he gets to this place, you just think you just know something's not right, mm-hmm. and something very—it's like you just feel like something's very, very wrong. Like everybody's acting strange. Like no one's, no one's, no one's acting normal. Like it's just not a normal situation, and you can feel it from like the moment you get there, and mm-hmm. like the entire time you're basically like, get out of there. Like you're trying to tell the character, like, no, this is not right. Like mm-hmm. something is very wrong. We need to leave. Like mm-hmm. this is one of those movies where you sit there and you watch it, and you're just like you're you're feeling like really on edge you're feeling really uneasy um it's just a really great example of a film that knows how to like build its tension Mm -hmm. and keep it going until the very end you know so it's it's a it's a very it's a very good movie i it's not i guess people wouldn't classify it as like a straight up horror film but it's more just like psychological and very just yeah, very much like Midsummer. Like it's very, very similar vibes. Like I've heard countless people talk about like the similarities between Midsummer and um, The Wicker Man. But uh, interesting. Yeah. Um. So I I can definitely say that I think Ari Aster took direct inspiration from The Wicker Man gotcha. to make Midsummer, but also very entirely different films on their own. Like they they all they both stand on their own two feet. Okay. So, but um. Yeah, um anyway, yeah, the Wicker Man from nineteen seventy three or nineteen seventy five, whichever whichever way you whichever way <laughs> you put there it. In the 70s, right. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere in the seventies. Um of course I have honorable mentions because, you know one that we went over already. True, so we yeah. don't have to go over that one. So mm-hmm. it just I only have two, so we'll get through them real quick. Um the first one that I want to talk about is The Hills Have Eyes. Oh yeah. The one that came out in seventy seven. Um, the original. Yep, a film. Ooh, oh, sorry, a film by Wes Craven that inspired the remake that came out in two thousand six, which was on my two thousands list. So, yeah. um, this film is like I feel like another just. It was one of Wes Craven's first films. Um, I think The Last House on the Left being his first film. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it was very much. It hasn't aged well as well, just kind of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's one of those movies that hasn't aged well. Um, 
it's definitely like earlier or like one of his earliest movies in his career so i think he was still like finding his like voice finding mm-hmm. his place but still a very like disturbing um movie very disturbing concept like um but yeah the i i really enjoy this movie um it's really cheesy there's some parts that are very cheesy like some of the dialogue is cheesy um the remake is definitely more enjoyable for mm-hmm. me um i feel like i've been talking about a lot of remakes that i like better than the the classics but sometimes i just feel like there are certain re- uh remakes that really uh utilize the technology of today mm-hmm. like there's movies that like are better for it like mm-hmm. i personally prefer the evil dead remake over the original evil dead and they still mm-hmm. use practical effects for that movie but it's just i feel like when you take a really intriguing concept or a really good movie and you remake it, like if it's done well and if it's done right, like it can be just as good as the classic. So like I do prefer the remake over the original, but I mean, it's Wes Craven. So Mm. it's still a classic, (laughs) like regardless of whether, you know, it's enjoyable or it hasn't aged well, it's still a classic because you know, it's one of Wes Craven's very first films and you can definitely see, like I said, that he was like trying to find his stride and trying to, you know. Yeah. Still fun though. It's it has its moments. So Yeah. Uh, Hills Have Ice from seventy seven. All right. So and then my last one is a a film from nineteen seventy three and that is called Don't Look Now. Have you heard of that one? Uh I don't think so actually. Really? Yeah. Okay, so the IMDb description for, for Roman and those of you who are listening that don't know about this movie, um, basically the IMDb description says, still grieving over the accidental death of their daughter, Christine, John and Laura Baxter head to Venice, Italy, where John's been commissioned to restore a church. There, Laura meets two sisters who claim to be in touch with the spirit of Baxter, Baxter's daughter. Laura takes them seriously, but John scoffs until he himself catches a glimpse of what looks like Christine running through the streets of Venice. So interesting. Yeah, it is. It is a very interesting film. Um, there are some horrifying elements, but it's also equally like because we were talking about how um, we feel like Carrie is just as much of a tragedy as it is a horror movie. I feel like this movie kind of follows in the same vein. Like it's 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 a very tragic movie because you know um losing a loved one is obviously devastating and it kind of like plays on the themes of that and um so it's not just a horror movie it's also kind of um a story about human tragedy kind Mm -hmm. of like hereditary is 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 a film um more so based on like tragedy within the family or like how people cope with with tragedy um this movie is kind of like the same way and there are some very um visceral very disturbing type of scenes in this film um i don't want to spoil anything more but yeah this is a this is a great film it's also considered a classic by many so if you guys haven't seen this um i suggest recommend you guys go watch it Mm, so yeah. yeah don't look now from 1973 and uh that rounds out my list as well so with that, so go. Um, the 70s guys, please tell us what you think. Yes. Uh, share us other films that you've found that you really loved in the 70s. We'd love to hear it. Uh, it was a fun episode. 
Yes, it was fun. I also <laughs> forgot. Um, I just remember, thank God, before we, we wrap this episode up. It's stupid. It has literally nothing to do with this podcast. Yeah. But I was really, really excited to do this episode um, this week specifically because... Um, <laughs> and I can already like picture the eye rolls from some people already because if people know one thing about me, um, I'm also very, very obsessed with another thing. That's not related to horror in any way, shape, or form. But um, uh, I guess yesterday now. Technically, it was yesterday. So it would have been cooler to record this episode yesterday. Okay, okay. But it's still fine because it still technically takes the place over the like next like four days. But it's a little known fact that it's been 108 years to the day yesterday that Titanic Same. set sail. On its oh. maiden voyage. Yeah, left Southampton, England on April 10th, 1912. And like, <laughs> like I said, if there's another thing that you know about me that people know about me, like growing up, that I am upset, like absolutely obsessed with the Titanic. Like, not just the movie, but like the history, the history of it as well. So, like, um, I'm kind of like a Titanic nerd. Like, I know basically all there is to know about it. Um, but it's like one of those things where I continue to want to like know more. Like, it's just so fascinating to me. Okay. Um, I have no idea. All right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like a huge, I'm like a huge nerd with it. Um, I don't know. I'm just, just something I'm super passionate about. I've been like obsessed with the Titanic since I was like probably six years old, old enough to see the movie. And then like, even after the movie, like I just was fascinated, but like, I have like a literally, I have a trunk at my house that I call my special box, which just is just shit that I've had since I was like probably in grade school. So like I have drawings that I did from when I was like back in third grade of like just drawing the Titanic. If there's one thing in my life that I can draw, it's the Titanic. I can't draw sh for shit though. Like <laughs> not been gifted that talent. Um, I mean, I can, I can film stuff. I can take pictures, but I haven't been born with that like um, talent to be able to like draw things. Um, I'm not bad at painting, though. Anyway, I'm getting way too <laughs> off of the subject. But, <laughs> you know how we talked about, I think it was, like, the first episode where we talked about, like, how um, we're not going to ever do a podcast about constellations. The constellation thing. Did that we, we say up. that? Are you yeah, do you remember, a big like, fan of constellations? No, I'm a big fan of Titanic. So I was ah. like, all, all of the listeners out there that would like me and Roman to do a spinoff podcast about everything Titanic, let us know. I mean, I might be there as a special Roman's guest. like, Roman's like... Oh, yeah giving me this look like i do not want to be a part of this <laughs> don't drag like me into the movie the... <laughs> uh, that's about it. yeah um but yeah anyway sorry that was like my little tidbit that was so random and completely off subject from that's the... cool though but i just like thought it was like a really special episode for me personally like not only is it our fifth episode and i i feel like like i said before countless times on every episode i'm just so grateful for all of like the positive feedback we've mm -hmm. gotten definitely um, all of just like the support we've gotten, but then also just this episode was really special to me because we're, we're doing this episode, um, to like, I guess not to the day, but like literally 108 years ago on this day, like right now, yeah. Titanic was like sailing across the ocean. History that was to me, being made. Yeah, yeah. And that to me is just like, I don't know. So fascinating. I'm like so weird with that though. I'm always like this so-and-so this time, ago this at this time this was happening and people are like you're so weird and i'm like i'm just very passionate about things i'm sorry like 
If <laughs> there's like three things in my life that I'm very highly passionate about, it's horror, Titanic, and drag. RuPaul's Drag Race. Like I'm obsessed with all of that stuff. But yeah, the anyway. Holy Trinity guys. The Holy Trinity, yeah, exactly. Very well put, Roman. I mean, you couldn't have said it better. <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry, guys. I went on way too long about this Titanic stuff. Uh, but yeah, anyway, uh, closing up the episode, I guess I just want to, I guess we just want to say thank you. Thank again. you, as always. And as always, continuing more. Thanks, guys. Yes, I'm so excited that we had a new um, review and a new like rating. Yeah, like it keeps like, us ah. going, guys. It's so great makes us happy and lets us know that what we're doing like really reaches you guys. And, uh, it really is like interesting stuff, stuff that, that matters to you. So thanks again. Um, this was our seventies episode. Next, uh, episode will be our sixties. And we just want to let you know that that's, that's, we're going to wrap it up right there. We're going to end it at the sixties and that sixties, sixties year, 60 years of horror films. And yeah. So next time, That'll be the last decade, our favorite films of the 60s. And then we'll have something new in store. We're not going to tell you yet. Yeah, we're going to wait. we definitely have something waiting in the back. You know, like we have, we're, we're scheming something. We're cooking something up. It's going to be fun. We're because cooking you guys up are gonna love several it. things, actually. We, we've got a few ideas. But we got one big one that uh, you guys are going to love. So, it's gonna be so great excited, yeah michael's trying to contain himself but no worries we're not gonna spoil anything it's gonna I, I, be really fun yeah because i literally called roman last night and was like hey so i just want to run this by you can i do you think that it'd be a good idea to share this in the podcast episode tomorrow and roman's like basically like no i'd hold off and i'm like oh but i really want to say it now I would say, I would say, right you know, I know, we'll yeah. wrap up the decades and then we'll we'll keep you guys tuned in for what's what's up ahead i just get so excited that it's like hard for me to like uh you know yeah but no worries i mean it's it's gonna be good it's gonna be fun yeah it'll be great once we get there but yeah uh that's it guys yeah um, uh thanks for listening oh don't forget we can't we forgot last episode we need to plug in our social media stuff oh yeah definitely. we completely spaced it the last episode so uh, yeah, Roman, so do you wanna... since the last episode we actually uh you know we have our typical social media plugins like our instagram page which is we love horror pod we, we have, love horror podcast yeah we love horror podcast or yeah. email which is we love horror pod at gmail.com you can send us um questions suggestions um just any kind of like input you'd like and just yes. want to share it with us so we can put it on the podcast we'd be more than happy to hear it there's my uh, Twitter handle where you could email, uh, message me or email me, which is uh, Roman Chicas, C-H-I-C-A-S. That's uh, my Twitter handle. But we also we have also, a new yes, yeah. uh, We Love Horror Twitter account that you could also message us. We haven't posted anything to it yet, but... But we're going to be active on there. I, I'm not really active on the Instagram face because I personally don't have his, uh, Instagram. But I'm always on Twitter. I'm always tweeting. So I'm probably going to be the one spearheading that effort right there. But Pro- it'll be fun, yeah. guys. <laughs> I mean, I'll contribute every now and then, but mm-hmm. as I've said before, um, Twitter's not really my thing. I'm more of, I, I handle more of the Instagram side yeah. of it, which I feel like been really going well. I also wanted to bring that up too. Um, mm-hmm. We have, I think, 130 followers now on Ooh, our Instagram. Very I know. Nice. It like, so like we went from barely grazing to 100 to like all of a sudden just like skyrocketing like really quickly to 130. So thank you all to like, all of you guys that have been following the page, like keeping up um, with, you know, just sending us your reviews, sending Mm -hmm. us your ratings. Like we really, really appreciate it. And we continue to encourage you to please like leave us a rating on Apple podcasts, like leave us a review. Um, It would also be helpful. Like for those of you that 
want proper credit or like a proper shout out on the episode because like we've been shouting out the people that have been sending us like feedback Mm. but we don't know like the name of the person we don't know like where they're from so i think that if you guys are comfortable with letting us know who you are like you know you could just leave your name your like where you live that would be much more that i think that would be way cooler for Mm -hmm. us because then we'd be able to like shout you out personally and um i just feel like it'd be more personal i just i'm i'm always trying like we're always trying to like see um how we can like relate to like yeah. the listeners we want to we want to properly appreciate you know you fans you know we want to let you know exactly that. we do care what you say um but you know say send us what you want to send us whatever you're comfortable with and we'd be more than happy to read it uh, on the air yes so, yeah um but yeah with that uh for roman you don't if you don't have anything else to say no, um, i'm good all right well we will see you guys next time and uh Stay safe out there. Wash your damn hands. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank you again for listening. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. See you guys later. See you guys. Peace.